Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of the Wise Guys Podcast. Sort of. This is our second time meeting today for extenuating circumstances. And that may be one Donovan Mitchell trade to the New York Knicks. Yeah, you're funny. You're funny. (laughs) Trying to clown me here, boy. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. So we talked before and we were actually discussing Donovan Mitchell. And I was trying to say, like, yeah, maybe he's not going to go to the Knicks. Donovan Mitchell has been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Larry Markin and Colin Sexton in a signing trade, which will then have the Jazz extend him for four years, $72 million, and five picks, two pick swaps, and a three unprotected ones in 2025, 2027, and 2029, along with the 14th overall pick from this last year's draft, and Oche Abaji, former NCAA champ at the University of Kansas. Now, there's so much to talk about here, obviously. Number one, I think the Cavaliers are contenders, but I want to get your reaction first, Brennan, as a Miami Heat fan who thought Donovan Mitchell would have been the one taking you over the top. How excited are you to watch him now playing in Cleveland, the Maroon baby with Darius Garland? So this this took the NBA Twitter by storm when this came out. Um, and man, was, was my timeline, you know, flooding with just the reactions of, Cleveland's going to do this. Cleveland's going to do that. I had John texting us in, in our group chat. Cleveland, they're winning a championship. All this blah, blah, blah talking. Listen, I'll, I'll hit I'll hit you with the positives first. Positives are you've got a star on your team now. He's the guy. Um, and you're, I would say, a top four, top five team in the East now. Um, I... I like like I talked about earlier with uh, Justin's New York Knicks, if Donovan Mitchell goes there, I don't see him taking Cleveland Cavaliers over the top. Um, he's going to have to be the guy, and, and I just, I don't know, Evan Mobley, John really likes him. Um, can he be, you know, that guy this, this early, or is it going to take some time? We'll see. I just, for me, I, Cleveland's not winning a championship. I, right now currently constructed i just don't see it i don't as a miami heat fan how do you feel where are you moving what is the next star that maybe can take you to another another level particularly uh with some offensive production you lack who's out there to take us to the promised land and I, i just keep looking i keep looking and I just keep staring at my screen, and I, I just can't make anything make sense. Um, I don't think Bradley Beal puts Bradley Beal puts us over the top. Um, Giannis isn't available for a couple of years. I reckon there's a possibility um, Damian Lillard's in the market at the trade deadline. Yeah, I was just about to get to Damian Lillard. Now, if that is possible, and we don't give up Jimmy or Bam, obviously, that puts us over the top, and now, now I'm, I'm, I'm back on it because Damian Lillard is a superstar talent in this league with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. That's a dangerous team. Eric Spolster coaching the culture. It, it would be a great team that easily be a top three team in the East, uh, if not better than Milwaukee, to be honest with you, because there's concerns with Milwaukee right now. Uh, but right now, the direction currently constructed by Miami Heat, there's, there's concern for me. I'm starting to get a little concerned because I'm looking at Pat Riley. I'm looking at the team and I'm just like, you guys got to do something because we're, we're stuck right now. 
And I don't think this team currently we basically stayed the same. We minus PJ Tucker. That was a big loss uh, for a multitude of reasons. And I just see like, you know, we're going to be at the bottom end of the top four, top five teams in the East. And, and I don't like that. I don't at all. Cleveland might have already passed y'all. Now, Justin, before we jump into Cleveland, which we have to talk about, I want to get your reaction as a Nick fan. Do you think this is a negative that the Knicks missed out on Donovan given the asking price was six to seven draft picks, four of which unprotected Quentin Grimes and according to some reports, RJ Barrett? Yeah, you see, when when you hear those reports and, and you hear RJ Barrett involved with it too, it's kind of like, okay, I guess it's too much. And you you want a star. And from Brandon's look too, he wanted him too. You wanted that star. You always think when you add a, a star to your team that you, you'll be put over the top. But as a Knicks, Knicks fans know already, uh, sometimes rushing to get the star isn't exactly the, the best idea. Uh, example is Carmelo Anthony. So I feel like we learned our lesson. You want the star, but you want him at the right price. You don't want to give up too much. You don't want to give up R.J. Barrett. Because at the end of the day, if you make this trade and you get Donovan Mitchell, how, how much better does it get you? You know, if you're giving up R.J., how much better did you actually get? Are you still going to finish in the same spot? Probably. So while as much as I love the idea of Donovan Mitchell, the spider playing in the garden, I love the idea of him playing alongside RJ and luring potential other stars. But you know what? It doesn't happen that way. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. Now we could just look, look forward to this season. And as, as I've told you guys, now we got to see what our young players can do, see if they can develop. You hit the nail on the head. The Knicks were not ready to win. Let me repeat that. If the Knicks got Donovan Mitchell, they weren't doing anything with him. At best, this was a team making the playoffs, and that was a stretch. And with RJ, the only way you could talk yourself into it is that you make yourself a rich destination. But the Knicks have talked themselves into that many times through the years, and it's never actually panned out, much like they did with Melo. This Cavaliers team is ready to win. And that's the scary thing. Donovan Mitchell is the old one in this young core that they have built. He is 25 years old. Evan Mobley, the former number three overall pick, is 21 years old. Darius Garland, who could have made an All-NBA team last year, played the level of an All-NBA player, is 22 years old. And Jared Allen, who made an All-Star team and was certainly one of the five or six best centers in the game, is just 24. So the Cavaliers have four young phenoms. And yeah, I include Jared Allen in that discussion because he is emerging as, I, I put him in the DeAndre Ayton camp, and I think he's a little bit better. And he fits perfectly with Evan Mobley with Mobley's passing ability. The kid reads the game at an insanely high level for someone his age. He processes defenses very well. He's a very intuitive passer, and he knows what he's doing with the ball. He takes care of it, and defensively, he's a menace. We were talking about Kevin McHale on this episode later on, but it was earlier this morning, but later on this episode, you hear Kevin McHale. Mobley's length and his discipline makes him what I think will be a defensive player of the year one day. And the Cavaliers now get the one thing that they desperately needed, and that was some secondary creator alongside Darius Garland, so he didn't have to do everything. Now, Mitchell gets to play with an elite playmaker, so he's just being forced to be that prolific scorer that we know him as. He can drop 30 a game. Meanwhile, Garland will give you 20 and 10 if you need it. Evan Mobley will be a defensive player of the year, consistently, I think, in that conversation, and Jared Allen will hold things down as well in the front court, making 
Twin Towers, all the while one of the three most prolific and dynamic backcourts in the game. The one thing missing is a small forward. This team just needs some forward versatility. The only ones in the roster are Isaac Okoro, who's a good athlete and a good defender. He just can't make a shot. Jody Yasmin, who can make shots, but he's very inconsistent at doing that. And Karis LeVert, who is, I'm not very high on him whatsoever. So if the Cavaliers can get some level of legitimate offensive production from Isaac Okoro in the half court, if he's just making shots and defenses are playing him to some degree, this is a top 10 offense and it's a top 10 defense. And the upside, given the runway they've created for themselves, where all four of your top guys are under contract for the next three to four to six years with Darius Garland, they're going to have so many opportunities to go deep in the postseason and a conference that has Kevin Durant and Kyrie in the Nets. They're not going to be around too long. Even Giannis in the box, we don't know how long they're going to be around. And Joel Embiid as well. This is a team that can build a sustainable winner. And I think at some point in Garland's development, we're going to look at them as the best team in the Eastern Conference. And it may not be this upcoming season. We haven't seen you know, J.B. Bickerstaff, how good of a playoff coach he is. But this is the best young core in basketball by far. And I don't see a weakness now with this team outside of the forward versatility that they lack. And I think that's something that can be found via trade. There's many. You look at Dallas. They've gotten Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock in free agency. You get one or two of those guys. This Cavaliers team is literally set in stone championship caliber. This. I mean, first I just got to say, I mean, as far as the – I feel like it's a little recency bias you're falling into right now, John, um, on both counts. I, I think, especially the young, best young core, I mean, one week it's the Pelicans, one week it's Minnesota, the next week, the next week it's Atlanta. But they're getting a top 20 player that's 25 yeah. now. No, I understand that. And then, and then, you know, you're also still high on the Raptors too. And now it's, you know, Cleveland. I, I, I like the move, but I just, I, I don't know. As far as young stars right now i'd take minnesota's over them i'd take uh the pelicans over them i, I would Hell no. i would I, zion and bi and cat and ant i mean come on for me cat pete that's fine cat's still a star player in this league though yeah but we haven't seen what evan mobley can be we haven't seen what Darius garland can be either Ant hasn't Ant hasn't filled out his potential, and I'm pretty sure both of you are are guys that think he can be an MVP in this league. I feel like I've heard either one of you yeah. or both of you say I that. I said that. Just nice too. Yeah. Um. I I don't know, man. So so one thing I want to throw to you guys both is just a so it's a two parter. One, we did our top five team, our initial top five teams in the NBA this season. So one. Does Cleveland enter that discussion for either of you guys? And two, where do you rank them in the Eastern Conference right now? Okay, so one, no, they're not thrown into my top five. And two, I won't I'll put them I think they're a top six or seven team in the East. I'm not gonna throw them into the top three, but I I believe they're they're talented enough to to creep in there. So, Justin, you'd have Miami over them? Correct. You'd have Boston? Yep. Milwaukee? Yep. Philly? Yep. Brooklyn? Yeah. Toronto? No. Chicago? No. Atlanta? No. 
So you'd have number six. Okay. Number yeah. six. Okay. I no, feel, I, I, I respect that. And I, I, I could, I understand. Yep. Go ahead, John. I feel bad. Listen, for the they're young. They're young. The, the Cleveland Cavs are going to be young. I, I, I already saw a bunch of comments. Yo, this team's going to be giving up 200 points a game. No, they're not. Not with those two elite rim protectors back there. If, with them back there, you, you'll be you'll be taken care of. But I don't. I'm not going to jump on the on the train and say, yeah, this team's a championship contender right away. No, I don't yeah. think so. I think they're still young. They still have a lot to prove. They're not. They're not battle tested just yet. Um. So we'll see. Come this season, they'll definitely be up there, and people are going to have higher expectations. When you acquire a star like that, best believe you, expectations rise too. So. Let's see if uh, they can repeat all, all the things that they did this past season and excel. I don't know. But so John, Cleveland isn't a championship team. Not yet. So, John, same same questions for you, and you're high on them. So, do they enter that discussion in top five teams in the NBA for you, and where do you see them in the East? So, I had them in my top 15. Now I have them in my top 10. In the Eastern Conference, I have them above Miami now. So I do have them in my top four, right with Philadelphia. I love what Miami does. I think Eric Spolscher is the best coach in the game. But there's going to be regression coming for that team. I think Jimmy Butler, as much of a superstar as he's shown to be in the postseason, is going to continue to slow down. And there's not enough support for him. as He needs somebody that can take that load. And until that comes, I'm not ready with Bam as well. And losing PJ only hurts. So this Cleveland team, I don't think people realize what they have in Evan Mobley. I really see a lot of Kevin Garnett in him as a defender. And he has, he's a lot more selective on the other end of the floor. But in a way, it's a good thing because he plays within himself. And with the most dynamic backcourt now playing alongside him, he is going to greatly benefit. He is tremendous in screen and roll. Very smart, instinctual player, like I said before. And he just plays the game the right way. I think for any championship team, he is the type of player that you're going to want in the postseason. And Jared Allen as well is Another very quiet but elite center for what he does as a rim protector, finisher around the rim, and pick-and-roll partner. So for the Cavs, yeah, I mean, they're at number nine around that mix. I'm not going to fully give it away. I can make my season previews. And I want to say I'm sorry for the Hawks because they gave up three first-round picks to DeJounte Murray. <laughs> I like DeJounte. I think he's a fake all-star. You look at what the Cavs gave up for Donovan, it's going to be three late first-round picks, two pick swaps, which I don't think will convey. Larry Markkinen, who he's fine. He's not a solution for them at small forward, and they got off of a negative contract. That's what Larry Markkinen is, a negative contract, and Colin Sexton, who they didn't really want to bring back. Oje Abaji would have been very, very good for them. But, I mean, the Hawks quite literally gave up a similar amount in terms of the overall value to the Cavaliers. I think their picks that they gave up are going to be better than the Cavs and DeJounte Murray is like barely top 40 whereas Donovan's top 20 so <laughs> it's rough yeah well I mean we'll see what Cleveland's got I, I I would lean more towards um when I'm looking at it now you know they got Boston best team in the east Milwaukee right behind them um and then kind of right there I got Philly, Miami, and Brooklyn kind of battling for that third spot, in my opinion. And then Cleveland's like, uh, Cleveland for me is more around the Toronto, Chicago, Atlanta uh, range for me, in my that's opinion. That's disrespectful. That, that, that's where I see them. They clear I, Atlanta. 
I, I agree with you, but the only difference is I see more upside in Cleveland. So future-wise, while this year, yeah, I can see them on that level, but in the future, this is a team that probably be fighting for a one, two, three seed in the East. I think they're better than the Nets right now as well. They're going to win more games next year, and I don't really have much concern about that. The Cavs were ruined by injuries last year. They were honestly hit harder than the Nets. The Nets lost Kevin Durant to his sprained MCL for a couple of months. And without him, they lost 11 straight games. That Nets team is basically a disaster waiting to happen, and you both know that. This Cavalier team is on the rise, and in the next seven years, they will win a championship without LeBron James. I don't know if they'll win one in the next two or three because it's it's tough in this Eastern Conference. But give it five years due time when all these guys have chemistry and experience playing one, with one another. I'm not sure J.B. Bickerstaff will be the coach by then, but he's one of the players' love. And there's so much upside here. They're going to be better than Minnesota. I mean, I think Carl Anthony Towns is good, but I think Mobley will be better. I think Garland is already on his level. Garland will be better. And truth be told, Donovan Mitchell is in the same level as Cat, and he can be better as well. So I love Anthony Edwards, but, I mean, this team's got even more upside than Minnesota and New Orleans. I feel like we throw championships at teams so easily, though. I feel like, like we had this talk. I mean, you guys will see it later on in the episode. But we spoke about the difficulty of championships, at, and you just can't give it to everybody. So in the next seven years, you're saying they're going to win a championship. You also, we see Boston winning potentially multiple championships. So does that change your opinion on Boston's championship runs in the future? It definitely makes this Eastern Conference more competitive. I got Boston winning mm-hmm. two in the next six, I think, All right? I definitely think they'll win one with JT and JB. The second one will be harder to come by. I can see that team making the finals twice, though. I really can. And I don't see Golden State in three or four years really being as domineering as they are currently. I mean, mean, Denver's got to be up there, too. Denver's going to win a championship, I I think. I'm a Nugget fan. I'm not selling that. Huh? Denver, Dallas. There's so many teams that you could look at, yeah. For me, I think it's a super. I just don't see Cleveland being a championship caliber team. I just, I mean, let's pull back the curtain a little bit. They're going to make right? history. John, John literally said to me and Justin that Donovan Mitchell is a bubble fraud. Okay, and now he's sitting in here jest. singing the praises in jest. All right, in jest. Now he's over here singing the praises that Donovan Mitchell is going to be this all-time savior, and and it's just I, I don't see it in Cleveland. Because he's going to be asked to be the guy. Mm-mm, not true. Garland's the, Garland's the primary creator. First off, and yes, to, to cheer up Justin because I was trying to tell him the Knicks were going to get Donovan. I, no, it was actually you. I think, yeah, who cares? He's a bubble fraud. And, and, and yes, I want to make that no, known. But who, John, in crunch time, who's getting the ball? Who's go, who are they going to score? Garland, usually. No, they're going to Mitchell. They're not going to Garland. So have you watched the Cavaliers in the last two years? You're Honest out question. Of your mind. All right. Have you seen Donovan? You think Donovan Mitchell is going to take a back seat and let Garland take the biggest shot? Donovan was one of the worst clutch performers last season, and he was. It doesn't matter. PG even was one of the worst clutch uh, uh, performers for a long stretch of time, but they still went to him because the best player but gets. The this best isn't Donovan's player. team. He's not coming here to be the guy. He's one yes, of he, the guys: yes, he, no, he, Garland, he's, he's Mitchell, Mobley, and Allen. It's not how this thing works. Garland is already on Donovan Mitchell's level. He's no, he's coming to be. He's a guy. much better playmaker as a scorer. He's a half a step behind, but he's two steps ahead as a playmaker. And defensively, 
it's honestly very similar because neither guy is particularly impressive on that end of the floor. He, no. Donovan Mitchell's coming to be the guy in Cleveland. Yeah, Overall, this is awesome for Cleveland because I feel like everybody relied on maybe Braun will come back uh, and put us over the top. Not it's finally they have themselves a team where they don't, you know, Braun, you can stay over there, man. We don't need you. We got this this time. And I think that's pretty sick for the NBA. I love that. So I have a buddy of mine, one of my best friends. He's actually a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And he's been through it. When Braun left, he stuck with him. I used to think in, in the back of my mind, is this guy a bandwagon? But when he stuck with him through the bad years, I was like, okay, he's legit. So I know uh, Cleveland fans are definitely stoked for this. Uh, they definitely deserve it. Now uh, it's time to put it to work. Let's see. Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of the Wise Guys podcast. I'm John Tortorelli with my co-host Brandon Capizzello and Justin Ray. Justin, you're on the top for me today. Do you guys have the same exact thing? You're on the left. I'm on the left. You guys are regular for me. That's really going to bother me in post-production. But we have a lot to discuss. R.J. Barrett's newest max contract extension, our top five NBA teams. We've done NFL, now we're doing basketball, going to the 2022-23 season, top 10 power forwards of all time. We talked about that in episode number 20, and we're going to cap things off and check it up. Justin can talk about his Yankees, which I haven't watched, but based off of the talk I've had, my neighbors aren't really doing too well right now. So with all that out of the way, there is some good news in New York, I would say, and that is the New York Knicks going all in on the third overall pick from the 2019 NBA draft. That's been a star since he was like 15 years old in Canada. Oh, Canada. Oh, RJ Barrett. RJ staying in New York. And I don't think anyone really had any doubt about that. But he gets a four-year deal worth what can be up to $120 million. And the significance in this is this is the first Knicks since Charlie Ward in 97 or 98. That's getting a multi-year contract extension after his rookie scale deal. Now, that Charlie Ward draft, for reference, the Knicks' first pick was Monty Williams, who's now had multiple head coaching stints and is, what, 25 years later? You know, he's not an NBA player. They did sign David Lee, I think, after his rookie deal, but then they traded him a year after to the Warriors. Mm-hmm. There may have been a sign trade. Mitchell Robinson was the first overall pick just that they, they had that they extended off of his rookie deal because he was a second-round pick. And now it finally seems like the Knicks are headed in a, a good direction. With this R.J. deal, they still can be in pursuit of Donovan Mitchell because they're not giving up R.J. to Utah. And quite frankly, I don't think Utah wants R.J. that much because it's going to take him four or five years to really rebuild a high-end playoff team. And I would prefer six or seven draft picks from a middling Knicks team that would become Utah East if they get Donovan. With that all the way, Justin, I want to ask you, how excited are you to see RJ in New York? And more specifically, what is RJ as a player? He struggled with consistency. He's not the best finisher on the rim, and he has a lot of skills that fans like, but at the same time, a lot of things that Knicks fans are a little bit uncertain about. Okay, so before I get into my super excitement, what I think of RJ as a player, uh, I'm not going to look at his field goal percentage and the inconsistency of it but I'm just going to look at all that he did in that second half. And anybody with eyes can tell you, man, this guy progressed tremendously after the all-star break. I think the guy was averaging almost 25 points per game. 
for that whole half of the season. So if that wasn't proof to you already of what this guy can be, and there's more to his game, there's he's 23 years old now. So there's a ton, a, a ton of improvement still, still there to be seen. And I think he'll get there. If he did that in the second half of last season, I'm just super pumped to see what he has for has in store for the rest of it, the rest of this deal now to happen for another four years. And, and now I'll get into my excitement. Uh, dude, as a Nick fan, it's almost like, man, it's about time. Like it's a little, I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to cry or anything, but there's like emotional stuff in this because it's like, damn, man, yo, we're finally actually doing something. The, the revolving door of players is it's all it's over we have somebody that we have for a long time rj's been in the building for how long three years now so book it end of the contract we have him for seven seven total years so far and then at the end of his deal this guy's still going to be in his 20s probably a way better player than what he is now so the Knicks, nick fans myself and the whole city of new york should be pumped up right now that we have something to look forward to like I, and i've said it before I said there's something different about this Knicks franchise. I feel like we have direction, direction that we didn't have before. And now inking this contract is exact proof that the Knicks are really, they're investing into their talent. And it used to be, you know, Dolan gets in the way. Everybody's impatient. We need this. We need that. There was no patience whatsoever. It was just go for whatever we can get, get whatever star that we can, even if it was an aging star or terrible vets on free agent on, on one-year deals just there was no, nothing there was nothing there it was the same song and dance every single year and not like I said now it's different it is different the Knicks are coming man we're gonna be different in a, in a couple of years Brandon laughs at it but it's the truth it's the truth and you know what the NBA wants to see the Knicks good I don't care what anybody says we're still in position to get Donovan Mitchell anything can happen but all in all, I'm not even going to make this a Donovan Mitchell thing. I'm going to just focus solely on RJ. That's our guy. He's our New Yorker. He's become one of us. And I'm just super excited to see what the next four years are going to be. So one thing I'll agree with right off the bat is that it, the NBA is better when the Knicks are a, a playoff team and um, a high-rated team. That's no doubt about it. It's one of the biggest markets in the world. When a New York team or an LA team are hitting on all cylinders, it's it's better for the league. And Boston, I'll throw in there too. Um, but yeah, so you said after the All Star break, he was averaging twenty five. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the All Star break is in mid February, I believe. Um, so while you're true, yes. Um, so in February there were. Uh, Let's see, six games that the Knicks played, uh, and he averaged 28 points for those uh, six games. But he was uh, the Knicks were 0 and six in those six in that in uh, in February. He also uh, only shot 43. Uh, percent He got to 39 percent from three in February, but he was still a 67 percent free throw shooter. Then you move to March, which is a much bigger sample size. But yes, he averaged 25 points a game for that. And he was up to a 79% from the free throw line, but 40% from the field and 31% from three. And then you look at to end the season in April with four games, 19 points per game, 64% from the free throw line, 26% from three, and 35% from the field. 
Now, I don't watch a lot of Knicks, but what I and I know this is a, a, a while ago now because we're moving into his fourth season, I believe. Um, I do remember his uh, uh, his only year um, in uh, when he was on. Um, God, what was it? Was it Duke, right? His college team was Duke. Yeah. Okay. With, with yeah, with Zion and Cam Reddish. I watched the March Madness of that, and what I took away from that was that RJ is a very selfish player. He wants the ball in his hands, and he wants to be the guy. I watched it time in and time out, especially late in those uh, games with Duke, uh, uh, when he was on Duke against the uh, opposing teams. He wanted to make the play. There were times where he would take like two, he would take a terrible shot, maybe get his own rebound, and then take another terrible shot. While Zion's waiting in the post for his for the ball, and Zion's a very unselfish player, a little too unselfish, and uh, uh, if I do say so, because it's just like be more aggressive because you, the way you play is the is is in terms of like you are the guy. So now be the guy, assert yourself, be like no 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 RJ, I'm the best player on the team, I'm taking us to the promised land. So RJ, he he still has to develop a, a consistent. Uh, finishing rate, he can't go right. We got he got exposed in the playoffs. Him and Julius Randle, they can't go right. He he's got to he's got to improve uh, in in uh, finishing down low. He's got to improve his jump shot altogether. Free throw percentage is still a, is still a hit or miss. I just see a lot. He can he's a good defender. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. But can he? Can he take that next jump and and be a you know a consistent uh, jump uh, jump sh- uh, have a consistent jump shot I should say I don't really see it to be honest with you and I know he's young he's only twenty two and he he's got he's got time to make those strides it's just I don't see it and and for the Knicks to get. Knicks fans like Justin to get all excited with this popping circumstance about the Knicks. We're coming. We're here again. Like we're doing this again. We're doing this again. You guys are not doing anything. You're not doing nothing. You're not competing for anything. You'll compete for seventh or eighth place in the East. All right. If that you're getting knocked out in the first round, go ahead. But I'm not saying that we're going to be, contending for a title right now what i'm saying the knicks are coming like that we're finally building towards something there's stability that has evaded the franchise for a long time so that's all i'm saying that we're finally on the way up we're we're climbing the mountain we're not just sitting there at the bottom with the campfire no we're actually climbing the mountain and isn't thibs isn't thibs on the hot seat he is on the hot seat but this is an- another thing that i i, I want to point out is when we look at our other other Knicks players that we had, like David Lee, Porzingis, Shumper, all of those guys, when when they were finally dealt, it was because there was a new regime and just something new had to, there was a, a new influx into the organization. And that's what, that's the problem with the Knicks, that we need to have some consistency. So I challenged the Knicks, yo, let's roll with this. Let's see what we got. Bet on it. Because the second you start changing things too much, that's when everything goes to shit. Excuse my French. But that that's, tends to be the, cha- the chaotic portion of it. We, we go from head coach to head coach, GM to GM. Nothing's ever consistent. 
We need this. Why, this why needs to work. Why is there inconsistency? Well, because I always, like I said earlier, I always felt like the Knicks are rushing. The Knicks are rushing to success. We play in the biggest market in the world. They, I feel like, first off, New York sports suck. Yeah. The only consistent winner that we have here is the New York Yankees. That is it. So every single team that plays in New York has to live up to whatever the Yankees are putting out. And while the Yankees ain't bringing us championships, that's another problem with me. But they're still giving us a consistent winner. We're playing October baseball. We need a consistent winner in basketball. Here's something I'll throw to you. How come you're, you're New York, right? You're one of the biggest markets in the world. Why are these superstars and stars not trying to come to New York? First off, it's not New York. It's it's the Knicks because <laughs> the Let's Mets. Be sure. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the Knicks. It's and that's obviously ownership stuff. And we have consistently failed over the last two decades. My whole life, the Knicks suck. My whole yeah. life, I, I haven't really known anything different than that. So it it really comes down to the owner. But I'm not gonna diss Dolan because he stayed out of the way. He's staying out of the way now. So I'm not going to point the finger at him and say, oh, we have a terrible owner. Listen, if we make a trade and we do land Donovan Mitchell, we have some pieces. Now we, we become a, a group that stars are going to look at and free agents are going to look at a little differently and be like, okay, this franchise is uh, moving in the right direction. Maybe I want a piece of that. You so know, maybe I want to maybe I want to win in the garden. So it's definitely possible. And you pointed out R.J. Barrett's percentages. Like I said, I don't want to focus too much on that. He's a young player. He's taking a lot more shots than he's used to. It's going to happen. He's going to miss. Free throw percentage, that needs to go up. There's no excuse for you to be below 70%. Has to get up there. But I, I truly believe that at the end of the four years of this contract, we're going to look at it and be grateful that R.J. Barrett's a New York Nick. So one more thing, John, I'll let you go, right? I've always said the fish rots from the head down, and you got James Dolan, and it's going to rot the entire team from front office to uh, coaches to the players. But he's staying I, out of the way, so how? Yeah, I mean, you, you can say that, but we don't know that for sure, and I would, I would bet against that he's staying out of the way because he's just he's James Dolan, and he's very Jerry Jones-esque. Um, he, he probably even worse, to be honest, because at least Jerry Jones has likable qualities. James Dolan's just an asshole. Um, and, and he's a crybaby, a whiny little silver spoon, like freaking – Fans are yelling at him and whatever, and he's getting them banned from the arena and stuff. Okay, you well, Brandon, there are a lot of really bad owners in the NBA. There's, there's a ton, and there's a difference between many of them. The Knicks owner and James Dolan may not be a good person, but he spends money on the team. You look at Robert Sarver and Phoenix and many others, they won't spend and go for, further into the luxury tax. But that has been the issue with Dolan. He's willing to spend. And so long as the owner is staying out of things, which he has after hiring Leon, Leon Rose and Scott Perry, and spending money on the team, he's done those two things. So he's not the issue in New York. The issue was the Isaiah Thomas era, leading to Steve Mills and Phil Jackson. That is the problem. It's not ownership. I know you don't like James Dolan, and I'm not disagreeing. I'm not saying he's a good person. I know I don't know him personally. I don't really have an opinion on him. Not a good owner, sure, but. You're overanalyzing what's not the root issue. And now the Knicks are finally starting to build some continuity and consistency with these draft picks because Rose and Perry, not only getting Quentin Grimes, but Quickly and Jericho Sims, the Knicks are making some pretty good picks in the back end of the draft. 
and RJ, though it wasn't their pick per se, they are developing. And you said before that RJ is selfish, and quite honestly, I don't really see that at all. I think RJ's focus, it's like his pursuit of being great is what sets him apart. It's kind of why he was that alpha dog prospect coming out of Canada. And in the NBA, the consistency hasn't been there as a finisher. He shot 71% at the foul line last year, which isn't good for a player whose game really revolves around that. And he still has to you know, gain more consistency as a three-point shooter as well. But he's shown the capability to score from every level, and he's a pretty good passer. He can wrap around ball screens and make some pretty advanced finishes. Um, not finishes, but finishes to his teammates, finds on lobs and some kickouts. I think at large, him not playing a lead role for the Knicks in the second season, but is really just relegated to a spot-up corner shooter role, that hindered his development to a point where he wasn't a focal point. Because the Knicks are trying to win games with Tom Thibodeau, and that was my issue. They weren't prioritizing RJ's development. They were prioritizing Julius Randle, and the ceiling with him was an embarrassing first-round exit where he couldn't even shoot 30% of the field. I'm saying with RJ... He's not selfish. He's a very skilled all-around wing player. And we look at what Boston's doing, all these teams like the Miami Heat who have very good defenses and they're very consistent in the regular season. Wing players are at the core of that because in today's league, they may not be the most refined as a passer or a ball handler. Those guys are the most valuable position. Athletic wings that are tough, work their tail off, and are skilled enough to score at a high level, defend many positions, and be a pain in transition. So that's what I have to say. I mean, I think... The Knicks talk, it can't be so negative because this franchise is turning things around. And like I said before, James Dolan is not in the way of that. He has gotten out. People can learn over time. Owners can improve just like a head coach, just like an NBA player. And that's why his reputation as one who has done a poor job with the Knicks in the past shouldn't just write off or discard this team as one that is headed in a good direction. Now on the court, I think Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle is a terrible fit. And I don't have this even as a top eight seed this coming season. But still, you're seeing some level of stability for the Knicks that has not been present during my entire lifetime. I want to say, so if they make this deal for Donovan Mitchell, right? First off, they're going to have to give up a lot, right? Um, second off, now I... If you've listened to the show, you know I'm, I'm big on Donovan Mitchell coming to Miami. Uh, got the Miami, my Miami Heat hat right now. But the reason I'm high on him coming to Miami is because he's not going to be the guy. That's Jimmy Butler. He's going to have to be the guy on the New York Knicks. I don't know if he can be the number one on a championship team especially when you tell me his running mates are R.J. Barrett and a possible Julius Randle if he stays. And that's not good enough to get the job done, even in the East, which is getting better. They won't be able to uh, compete with even like the Sixers. They won't compete with Miami, Milwaukee, Boston, or even the Nets. It, it's just – and also R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Donovan Mitchell all playing on the same court together, that – for me, for some reason, that just does not click. It does, like they're all score first guys. They all need the ball to affect the game and impact the game. None of them are real playmakers. Like I, I don't see how it all works together. Um, so yeah, and, and let me reason, tell you, like, it doesn't work together. <laughs> it does. It doesn't, and that's another thing why I'm high on him coming to Miami because we are a ball movement team. Jimmy does not need the ball to impact the game at a high level. 
Bam does not need the ball to impact the game at a high level. And Kyle Lowry can be the ball handler to set everybody up. And then Donovan can just do Donovan things, which is be an athletic freak and shoot the ball uh, pretty solid from mid-range and knock down some uh, big three-pointers. So for Justin, I just say, like, if you tell me Donovan Mitchell is the guy and you're going all on and all in on him, I think you're making a big mistake. And I'll, I'll say this again because I tweeted it, I think, like a week ago. If I see Donovan Mitchell traded to the New York Knicks, Donovan Mitchell will regret that decision for the rest – or it's not really his decision, but you know what I mean by what I'm saying. He's going to regret that decision for the rest of his life because he's going to waste his away four to five years in New York not getting anywhere probably past – they might get past the first round depending on where they're seated, but you're going to fail instead of coming to Miami where you have a legitimate chance to win the final – to go to the finals and win. New York, you're not doing that. So they need a top 10 player to come to that team for them to become something. And I don't see a top 10 player wanting to come to New York or coming available to even for New York to even approach them. So, again, I, I still see the Knicks as still the Knicks. You can tell me they're building stability and whatever like that. All right, that's cool. How is their stability when their head coach is on the hot seat? How, how is their stability when I just told you that if you even really actually start sit down and think about it, their future, your future is still the second round and getting bounced? Is that success in New York? No. Justin, you just got finished saying a couple of minutes ago, the New York teams have sucked. Getting to the second round is not a success. 1973 is all I got to say. 1973. I think everybody needs to temper expectations. Like, Like I said, like you're right. I said New York teams suck. So if the Knicks are getting to the second round and getting bounced, we want to see our team get to the damn playoffs consistently. All right. First, that's first and foremost. Let's get to the damn playoffs and let's see if we can get the thing done. If we can't, then we evaluate. But we want to see our team get there. If Donovan Mitchell isn't the guy, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. We don't need to trade for him. Fine. Some star will eventually come available or we'll develop one. We, I'm telling you, we, we're developing a really good team. And, and John highlighted some of the, the the great picks that we've had whether it be second round picks or not we're building some pieces i'm not saying any of these guys are going to become superstars but well, well then that goes back to a point we were arguing against john last time we were on with toronto so where's your where where do you see this future so i, I said you'll get to the second round if you have donovan mitchell if you don't have donovan mitchell you might miss the playoffs again all right let's let's just put that right there all right. And if you do get to the playoffs, you're getting bounced in most likely four games. The Knicks currently are not a playoff team. Yeah, exactly my point. And if they do get in, like I said, if they do, they're getting bounced in four games in the first round. Donovan Mitchell, your ceiling is the second round because Donovan Mitchell is a, a very good player and he's a star caliber player with superstar upside that he can fulfill and reach his full potential. You say you're developing these stars, but then you just say there's no superstars and they won't become so like, that's my point. There is no superstars. They're not going to develop into super. RJ Barrett's not going to be a superstar. I don't know if he will even be a star. Maybe he'll get to all-star caliber, but I we really don't know that. Don't see it. Okay, and we're all projecting here. We're all projecting. I'll admit that, but I'm telling you my opinion. What I think is that I don't see it. So if you t- again, 
and we do have to uh, look into the future. You say just get to the playoffs, but my guy, these guys are going to start getting older. Jalen Brunson's 26. What is this, a four- or five-year plan, six-year plan? You say let's just get to the playoffs. So when do you want to see them actually take real strides to get to the third round, maybe even the finals? Because these guys are going to be older, and they're going to be gone by then. RJ's 22, but like I said, I don't see him becoming a superstar. Obi Toppin, is he going to – I don't think so. Emmanuel Quickly, will he even be there if you trade for uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell? Like uh, Quentin Grimes? Like, I don't – I don't see it. They're not getting Donovan Mitchell. This franchise is not goalable enough at this current point in time to give up six to seven picks, probably almost all of which unprotected. That's not worth it. Like you said, Brandon, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, he's not going to make this team a contender – this would make them Utah East, like I said before. And it's for that very reason. Why would you get your entire future? Because Utah, though they were, you know, like a first-round exit to, at best, a second-round appearance, Utah loves that. In New York, while you're in the basketball mecca, which I, I believe this franchise is celebrating first-round exits, you know what other franchises are celebrating? Or first-round appearances. Other franchises that are celebrating playoff appearances are, you know, in the NFL, it's the Cleveland Browns. In this league, oftentimes, it's the Washington Wizards. It's the embarrassing organizations that, you know, people make fun of because they aren't actually that stable. So for the Knicks, I don't see them actually giving up so much now to get a player in Donovan who they're not going to compete with. It'll be similar to Carmelo Anthony, where the best case scenario is he attracts another star. But I don't know what star would want to play here when Tom Thibodeau, I think, will be gone in a year. And even while they have drafted relatively well, I don't think it's more attractive than many other destinations that have, you know, Giannis, Luca, and so on and so forth. And at the same time, while it's nice to live in New York, I wouldn't mind no state income tax in Texas. So, you know, what's my, what I really want to see from the Knicks this year outside of winning games? Um, maybe Julius Randle stands in the way of this, but I just want to see Obi get the most minutes possible. I want Obi to play a uh, wild stat. For you, OB in games where he plays 30 or more minutes is averaging 24.7 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game with a split, 57, 43, and 91 splits. That's with 31, that's with 30 minutes or more. The talent is there, man. Like I said, I'm not saying these dudes are superstars and, and are going to be dominating all-star games, but I'm saying we have a team. And this team might might be very competitive. They're gonna put put lay their hearts on the line when they're out there. And like I said, we'll see what we attract in years to come. In a year after this season, if the Knicks, I said at the end of this season, I feel like there's more to be optimistic about this year than there was in a season that we made the playoffs. I still stand by that. So after this season, whether there's a playoff appearance in it, a play-in appearance or not. We're going to see something. We're going to learn something about this team. We have to see what we have in these young players, too. I'd rather go into the season playing with house money than uh, than not. So why not just give the give the young guys their shot? Let's see what we got. Does IQ take a another step? At the end of the season, he looked more and more like a better point guard. Grimes can shoot the ball. He's, he's one of the more exciting players going into the season, young players that we're optimistic about that a lot of people are optimistic about. And I don't think if we made a trade for Donovan Mitchell, Grimes has to be in that package most likely. So 
like I said, we do have a lot to be optimistic about. We'll just see where, where it's going to go. I know you guys watch the Knicks and, and you guys not as Knicks fans. Uh, the Knicks are a joke. They're a joke to you guys. So hopefully they'll, they'll change a, a couple of your minds, man. Because I'm tired of being looked at as a joke. Well, speaking of franchises that aren't jokes, let's discuss our top five power rankings going to the NBA season. We did this year in NFL two weeks before the start, so we're going to do it again with about six and a half weeks, seven, before the beginning of the 2022-23 NBA season. Do either one of you two want to start off? I don't know who he's pointing at because he's on the bottom for me. That is so my fault. I was pointing at Justin. <laughs> you want me to start with my top my top five NBA teams? Yeah, I want you to have some positivism because I know you were trying to, you know, ward off some negativity. So all right. Uh damn. I feel like every time I come out with a top five list, I get criticized for it. Yeah, because you'll so, have Carmelo or Paul Pierce at like number six or Kawhi Leonard. That's why. I mean, do you want me to be like, oh yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, Paul Pierce or Melo. That's adorable. I was supposed to let me rock, man. Just let me rock. All right. For my top five NBA today, I got to start with the defending champions. Okay. Is that a crime? Nobody's going to shoot me for that one. All right. Awesome. I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. I mean, what can you say about them? What can you not say about them? They, they do everything so well. As long as you got Steph Curry, Clay Healthy, and Dre in the fold, and now you're developing all this young talent, the sky's the limit for this team. It, it wouldn't surprise anybody if this team were to win a championship again this year and a championship again the next. Like, they're built for it, and it seems like with age, their games are sustainable. Steph Curry is shooting the ball. He's not taking too much damage in the paint. Clay just stands pat, give him the rock at the three-point line, he'll make the shot. And Dre is just such a great facilitator, a great leader to the team, a great defender, and he's staying on the court. So as long as that stays in the fold, as long as they're all healthy and they're out there on the court, Golden State will be number one. Number two, I got the Boston Celtics. So, yeah, I'm going with the NBA Finals right there. Jason Tatum, sky's the limit. Jalen Brown, sky's the limit. You throw in Brogdon. You keep Marcus Smart. That team healthy. I think Peyton Pritchard is one of the more underrated players in the league. And he was, and he's still developing. I think Boston is their stars are so young that over the next five years, it would surprise me if they don't have a championship in one of the next five years. It'd be a complete failure if they don't get one. But over that's under the expectation. Over under one and a half next six years. I'm gonna take the under. What about you guys? If you ask me over under Boston Celtics next six years at one and a half, I'm taking the over at two. Really? Huh. I'll, I'll take, I'll take, yeah, I think they'll, I think they can get one. I, I, I guess I take the under because uh, the more I realize what LeBron did all those years with Cleveland and Miami getting to the finals and seeing what Golden State is doing. It's tough for teams to get to the, the NBA Finals if your name isn't LeBron or Steph Curry. Outside of that, it's, it's not easy. I mean, Chris Paul's been fighting his whole life to get there, and now got there, and he probably won't see it again. So 
It's, it's very tough. So I'm going to take the under on that. I do think they get one. Uh, at number three, this might surprise some people, but I'm going to go with the Clippers. So I, I love to, I, I'm so excited to see Kawhi healthy, PG healthy, throwing a healthy John Wall. I think this team is going to be best team in LA without a doubt. And I would love to see this team actually win a championship. Kawhi being the first person to win for three teams, that'll be sick. That'll be absolutely sick. So I'm really rooting for, uh, is he, would he be the first? I think we talked about it. LeBron. It would, it, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, wouldn't be the first. Yeah, he would join he, LeBron. John yeah. Staley. Well, there's some role players like Danny Green, John Staley. The and there, okay. finals MVP, because he'll most likely be finals MVP. I think it'd be him and LeBron alone. Is, okay. Yeah, that's that's what I meant. It was finals MVP. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to see them get there to the NBA championship. It'd be, oh, man, imagine Golden State versus the Clippers conference finals. That'll be awesome, man. That'll be awesome. At number four, I'm going to show me that hat, Brandon. I got your Miami Heat. John's eyes are opening, but I see a very well-rounded team, a team that plays defense, a team that plays with grit, a team that can score. You couple that and you you maybe make a trade for another star that's uh, an explosive scorer. I don't see too many teams getting in in the way of Miami in the Eastern Conference. So at number five, I got the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I know. I, I love Luka, man. And the trade that they made, adding Christian Wood, I feel like that team is going to be even better than what they were last season. The West is just getting stronger and stronger. And I feel like Dallas surprised a lot of people in the postseason last year. I think this is a year that they take that next step. So I got Dallas number five. No Milwaukee in your top five, huh? No. How come? I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, just like I said when... I mentioned NBA finals being tough to get to get to. I feel like the Eastern Conference is getting stronger and stronger. KD and Kyrie are still in the fold. Uh, you still got you. Boston got even better. Miami is still Miami. So I, I just don't believe it. I don't think Giannis is going to be in Milwaukee for much longer anyway. See that. Um, so let me. I'll, I'll I'll do mine next, and then John can uh, round us off. Um, so our number one teams, I would imagine we're probably all going to have the same number one team, but yeah, Golden, uh, the reigning defending champions, Golden State Warriors. I mean, they just have more chemistry than everybody, than every other team. They're proven four times over. They revalidated themselves this last season, super deep, so much young talent. I mean, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, they signed Dante DiVincenzo, which I love. Um, they got the established vets and Curry, Clay, Dre, and Iggy still being there more, more as like a, a Udonis Haslam coach on the sideline. He could probably come in and give you like maybe three minutes or something in, in like a playoff game if you need. Uh, and then we still got, uh, I know he's the wild card, but James Wiseman coming back. Um, I know John's not high on him, but listen, I don't think you need much from him. I think all they want from him is a seven footer who can defend, rebound, rim protect and set picks that's all they really need and I think he can be that honestly that's not asking a lot I just think he can be that guy and I think he can give you a little bit more from the offensive side of the ball Uh, and then um, Steve Steve Kerr who's a top three top five head coach in this league Um, Los Angeles Clippers are number two I said this uh, a week ago or whatever that my top two teams are the Warriors and Clippers 
Uh, everybody knows how I feel about Kawhi. I believe he's the second best player in the world when healthy. Um, if he won that championship uh, the year he got injured, I think he'd be the best player in the world right now. Um, so he's back. PG's healthy. They added Norman Powell, which I love. He played with Kawhi in Toronto. He's a 3 and D guard. John Wall addition, I love that. High-level passer, crafty, explosive, flashy, super athletic. We'll see if he can be at least 75% of what he used to be because he is coming off those uh, major injuries. That's uh, an all-star. He is, he, he is an all-star. Uh, was an all-star. We'll see if he can get back to that level. But I think he can... I think he's going to add a lot of depth, especially because he's not going to be asked to be the guy. Um, and he can defend at a pretty high level, especially he's very crafty with his hands, getting steals and uh, playing pass passing lanes. <clears throat> they added Robert Covington last year. He's a three and D forward. Um, Rodney Hood, three and D guard. Still have Marcus Morris Sr., Zubak, Luke Kennard, who's a sharpshooter, Patoon, who's a three and D forward, and Terrence Mann. Um, I love this team all around. and to round it out, the head coach in Ty Lue. I mean, he's one of the best coaches in the league, too. Number three, I got the Boston Celtics. Uh, coming off a great comeback, turnaround season, uh, midseason turnaround, and making it to the finals, losing in six to Golden State, which is no shame for that. Uh, I, I think Tatum and Brown have finally figured it out on how to uh, play off each other. I think the person who has a lot to do with that is Ime Udoka them finally buying into the culture and him coming in. It's not a surprise that they finally uh, fit, uh, put it all together when he was around. Uh, Marcus Smart, he's the reigning defensive player of the year. Uh, he, he's he, They still got the old-time vet who I, they should have never got rid of, who can still get it done, as we saw in the playoffs, in Al Horford. Uh, you got the Energizer Bunny and Robert Williams. Uh, he'll be healthy to start this season off. Grant Williams, who's a really good 3 and D forward. Derek White, who's a hot and cold player, but he can, when he gets hot, he can he can start knocking down some shots and finishing at the uh, at the rim. Uh, they they add the two ads obviously are Gallinari, who's who's got a torn meniscus, no timetable for the return, but if he's able to come back, he's a, he's a really good shooter uh, from the uh, uh, four position. And their major addition is Malcolm Brogdon. This is the guy they said they were missing, basically. The prototype of the guy that they said they were missing. The point guard can settle everyone down, get everybody into their sets, make the right plays, play make, pass. Um, he can get his own shot. He can make free throws. He can defend and shoot well. See, he was a, he's a 50-40-90 member. So I think that's a huge addition for them. Number four, I got the Milwaukee Bucks. The core is still exactly the same, basically. Um, you still got the man, the myth, the legend, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, his running mate, Drew Holiday, who did get um, got exposed in the playoffs this last season uh, offensively. Who He showed he cannot be the second guy. Uh, Middleton, he's coming off wrist surgery and I think a knee problem as well, too. So we'll see if he can get back to uh, form. He should be healthy by the uh, start of the regular season, though, I, I uh, read. Still got Bobby Portis, who brings a tough mindset, and he can, uh, you know, he's a three and D player, and he can also finish down low too, bang with the big boys. Uh, Connington, they still have, I really like another three and D guy, uh, and he's just a spark plug, a scrapper. He's going to do all the dirty work for you. 
Um, Lopez, Wesley Matthews, Grayson Allen, and George Hill, they still, you know, they still got the core team there. Now, I hate, I, I hated the Abaka trade. I, I just thought that was one of the stupidest trades they could have made. I mean, they didn't even really use him. They didn't need him. Um, I mean, you have Giannis, Bobby Portis, and Brooke Lopez. Why do you need Serge Ibaka? Well, they did because um, Brooke Lopez played one game at that point in the season. And Dante DiVincenzo was injured, not really reliable offensively. I do agree Serge was Well, no, DiVincenzo was gone. You mean Connington? I think DiVincenzo was gone. By well, they point. traded DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka. No, so. I thought they traded a, or was it a four-team trade? It was a four-team trade. Rodney Hood and... Um, Ronnie Hood was... Homeboy? It was with the Ronnie Clippers. Hood. No, because uh, Ibaka was on the Clippers. Yeah, and DiVincenzo went to Sacramento. Marvin yeah. Bagley went to Detroit. Detroit, I don't know why they want Marvin Bagley. But. Okay, so that was like a four-team trade. But yeah, I, I just... For me still, I, I don't think that was a good good trade. I, I just... I really like Dante DiVincenzo. I thought he fit very well. Um, yeah, I don't... I, I didn't like that trade. Um, uh, they, they... I will agree that they might need might need to make some moves and probably do need to make some moves because uh, to survive longevity-wise and keep Giannis happy and keep Giannis in Milwaukee because I don't know if Middleton and Holiday <clears throat> and Brooke Lopez can get it done uh, anymore with him. And at number five, I have the Denver Nuggets. Super high on the Denver Nuggets. You've got the reigning MVP in Jokic. Uh, he's a walking 30-point double-double with elite passing, vision, and playmaking. Jamal Murray's coming back. Um, last last seen having a career year with 21 points per game, five assists, 1.3 steals, 47% from the field, 41% from three, 87% from the free throw line playing 35 and a half minutes. He was coming into he was coming into his own. He was becoming an all-star caliber player which he is an all-star caliber player. I will not take that disrespect. I, I tweeted out. I saw, I saw a podcast where people were saying he's not. Yes, he is. Look at what he did in the postseason. Three, three ga- uh, the three-game stretch, 50 points, six assists, 70% from the field, 42 points, eight assists, 65% from the field, 50 points, seven assists, 58% from the field. That was a three-game stretch in the playoffs, became the first player with three straight 40-plus point games in the playoffs since AI in 2001. He's explosive and he can go get his own bucket and play make for guys. Michael Porter Jr., hopefully he can stay healthy. I know that's the major concern with him, but if he is, he is a dynamic scorer from anywhere on the court. See his second year where he gave you 19, seven rebounds, a block a game on 54% from the field, 44.5% from three and 79% from the free throw line at six foot 10. If he can stay healthy, he's got star potential in this league. As Aaron Gordon, as the fourth man, I think is awesome because he can basically be the uh, a guy who grabs boards, uses his athleticism to defend very well. Uh, he can uh, rim protect, catch alley-oop, shoot threes. I think he's just a perfect complement to Jokic and those boys. Uh, I know John loves Bruce Brown. That was a good move to add him. He's a three and D guard slash forward. Um, I love the addition of KCP, another three and D uh, guard. He's a champion, a vet in this league. I love that. And, uh, you know, hopefully Boogie Cousins can get some opportunities because I do believe he can still be a contributor on, on the team. They chose uh, the, the new age Udonis Haslam slash Andre Iguodala 
DeAndre Jordan over Boogie. So Boogie's a free agent, actually. Oh, he's not okay. So then ESPN lied to me on their on their page. All right, so oh yeah, they they yeah. don't really update it too well. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, so yeah, then you know whatever. But Boogie does deserve a uh, deserve a shot in this league. Oh yeah, he was really big in that. Uh, I think it was Game Five against the Warriors. We had like fourteen off the bench, and he brought a spark that they hadn't had all season long when Jokic was on the bench. First off, you you hit that. Everything outside Aaron Gordon making threes was perfect that you just said. He's a great cutter, but the three point stuff is uh, very hot and cold. Let me tell you, that Nugget team, I want to put them in my top five. But it's super tough when you look at them at the highest levels against the Warriors and even the Lakers. And there's always that question, well, can Jokic, as a traditional defensive center, be capable enough to go up against Steph Curry and actually beat him in the best of seven? The Nuggets now are finally adding the pieces where they can find the answer to that, whether it's a yes or sadly for a Nugget fan like myself, it would be a no. Now I'm starting off, just like you guys, the Warriors, number one, because they won a championship last year for relative ease without any continuity going to the postseason. Let me repeat that. They won a championship last season without having basically any continuity going to the playoffs. We saw them in that Denver series expose Jokic. No, they're exposing the entire Western Conference. They didn't get to play the Suns. The Suns were frauds, and I'm a partial Suns fan, I say that. CP breaks down every year. Steph Curry proved, again, he can win at the highest level as a Proven number one, had one of the greatest plays or one of the greatest performances I've ever seen, dropping 44 in game four. That was insane. And all the while, you're getting an, an injection of youth from Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody. We have to see how he looks in the playoffs because it's always tougher for younger wings on the defensive end. If he can step up for them, and he is projected to be, and I expect him to be an immediate, ready player, that team is going to be special. And I love the Dante DiVincenzo sign, and I think he could have a career year for them, depending on how his ankle is. Number two, I got the Boston Celtics. Between them and the Clippers, they both have star wing tandems. Clippers have a better one. But when I look at the Clippers' history, I just I don't feel good about putting them over the Celtics. Whatever can go wrong, as Justin says, will go wrong in Los Angeles with the Clippers. And I think... They've made some pretty good moves, talked about Norman Powell, but I have to go with the Celtics over them because last year they showed they can win at the highest level. They were the best team in the NBA to end the season, and that was without a healthy Robert Williams. And all the while, Gordon Malcolm Brogdon, who I think adds exactly what they need. And Ime Udoka can only get better going to his second season as a coach. That team is battle-tested and only getting deeper. Number three got the Clips. This team is incredibly deep, and I think if there's any team in the Western Conference that can knock off the Warriors, it is them. You have Moses Moody and Jonathan Kuminga plus Clay Thompson trying to defend Kawhi and all the while PG. That wing tandem can do so much damage to any team, and they're so versatile in the way they can use their lineups. They can match up big, small, shooting. The team is basically complete outside of just some bad luck that always hits them, and Kawhi's coming off of a partially torn ACL and hasn't played over a year. So that's why I'm a little bit lower on them. Number four, and Justin, you having them at three is perfectly okay. I mean, I think most of us have them in top three. Number four, I have the Bucs. You talked about Milton coming off his wrist uh, surgery, which we didn't even know about. That's on top of the multiple knee issues he was dealing with last year that knocked him out for the postseason. This team needs Milton to win at the highest level. And I am very concerned with the offseason they had. They gave a lot of money last year to Grayson Allen. This year it was Bobby Portis. I don't know if Bobby Portis and Grayson Allen can actually close games for the Bucs as that fourth and fifth starters. Brooke Lopez last year looked solid in some regular season games, but coming off a of back surgery going on at 35 years old, I don't know if he can either necessarily. He was big for them in their finals run, but 
with age, I'm not ready to go there with him closing games for them. Is Pat Conson capable? Eh. This team really screwed up by letting P.J. Tucker go. They needed him, and this offseason, they got worse. Joe Ingles they brought in using their full mid-level exception. He's injured, and he was toast last year in Utah. I mean, he was really bad for them. And while he had a historic season in 2021, I, I got to be honest, he couldn't defend, and while he could pass and shoot pretty well, when they're going up against the Celtics, Joe Ingles is going to get played off of the floor. So they really worry about this team around Giannis, but just being the best player in the NBA, in my opinion, I had to have them in the top five. I I can't disrespect Giannis like that. Last postseason, he took the Celtics to seven without Middleton, and if you had a healthy Middleton in there, so long as he's just doing his thing, which I fully expect, the Bucks are still a top-end contender. Number five, you know, could have gone Miami, of course my Nuggets. I decided to go Philadelphia, and that's because of the impact of P.J. Tucker, who Miami is losing. I think that plays a key role in leadership they need. Tobias Harris last year stepped up and improved for them in the playoffs. And Tyrese Maxey going to his third season, second year as a starter, I am expecting to be even better in the playoffs. In the regular season, I don't think he'll be averaging 24 a game, but can he be ready-made as that number two option from the perimeter? I say so. And the biggest thing is, this is becoming the... Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. The, the Nuggets, they're becoming like the Brooklyn Nuggets. They add in DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. This team, they're adding a bunch of Houston Rockets. They go and get Daniel House, PJ, DeAnthony Melton. He was drafted by the Rockets, um, as well as James Harden, of course. Harden, I expect to have a better season. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Houston James Harden, as no one should expect. But can he continue with more continuity to be the best pick-and-roll pairing with Jewel and beat in the entire NBA? Can Embiid have more support from the perimeter, and all the while, more speed, athleticism, and intensity that this team has desperately lacked. Georges Nien won't be one of their five best players now. You can expect him to only be needed when they need shooting. And so I say this team's depth and overall star talent at the top is enough to overcome Doc Rivers being their head coach. I really think that could be seen Doc Rivers, you know, be just enough of an amazing Boston Celtic team to win almost 65 games. I think he might have, yeah, he did. And also a title. So to recap my list, number one, Golden State, they have to be. Number two, Boston. Number three, the Clippers. Number four, the Bucks. Now this shouldn't be a hot take. And number five. 76ers. 76ers. <laughs> 76ers. Dramatic pause by John. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not mad at it. The uh, only thing with you guys is that I, I don't think Dallas and Philadelphia uh, should be on the list, but, um, you know, that's your guys' uh, things. I, I think, John, you should have had, you should have went with the courage of your conviction and just put your nuggets on there because I think if that big three is hitting on all cylinders, and, yes, I do consider them a big three because I think Jokic is a superstar. Well, I don't think he is a superstar. Michael Porter Jr. has star potential. Jamal Murray is an all-star, so, quote-unquote, they are a big three. I just think, you know, I mean, that starting five is one of the best in the NBA. I mean, you got Aaron Gordon as your fourth guy. You're doing pretty good. And then KCP as the shooting guard now. I think you're doing pretty good. Perfect. Where do you put Dallas and Philadelphia if you're at a top 10? Like, how far out of the top five are they? I got Dallas at nine. I think losing Jalen Brunson hurts. They get Tim Hardaway back, too. But Tim Woody is that only other secondary perimeter career. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. Um, probably a little bit lower than, uh, yeah, I think. John probably hits the nail on the head with Dallas and Philadelphia is probably around the same with me because I think I would still have Miami over them. I take Brooklyn over them, Phoenix. Yeah, 
Who is better, Minnesota going to next season or the Mavericks? That's so interesting. Mm. I mean, I think I think the wild card is D'Angelo Russell on Minnesota because the top two guys are Ant and Cat, right? They need D'Angelo D'Lo to be, you know, what he can be, which is like an 18 point per game scorer with like seven to eight assists. Well, he did that. Um, he was just toast in the playoffs, and he didn't actually yeah, not be on play. That's what I'm saying. You know, at a consistent rate, he needs to, you know, deep into the season. For sure. That's um, tough for me. I'm very high on Minnesota, too. I, I love what they're doing. So it's. So who do you guys got? I'll take – I got Dallas. I put him at five, so I got to roll them. I mean, I love Luka. He's kind of really alone, to be honest. I, I, would, I think I'm going to take Minnesota. New Orleans or Dallas? That's another similar thing. They, they uh, are we – are we talking foreseeable future or are we talking 2023 this season? Yeah, this season. See again with this New season, Orleans. Dallas. Yeah, this this season, New Orleans, they've got a similar thing to um Minnesota. You know, they've got the quote unquote big three in Zion, BI, and uh, uh McCollum now. I hate that Luca's kind of basically alone. I know they have Woods and they know I know they have Dinwiddie, but comparing them to like the other, you know top three players on the other teams they just you know luca blows them all out of the water but it's his running mates but let's not get it twisted luca is the perfect team to play luca ball dorian finney smith yeah. is elite at what he does reggie bullock is close to elite at what he does and maxi kleber kleba as well as tim hardaway are very underrated when they're making shots yeah i know how about another player that's kind of all on his own though in the grand scheme of things he has a solid team in portland portland or dallas Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. Yeah, Dallas, easily, yeah. I agree. If Dallas is going to be a playoff team, I don't think Portland is going to make the playoffs. Lakers or Dallas? This is, uh, oh, man, because we have to put, like, a little caveat on there because if they get rid of Russell Westbrook, I'll take the Lakers because I think sub- uh, subtraction by addition, or addition by subtraction, whatever you want to call it, I-, I just think the Lakers are going to be that much better if they get Westbrook off their team. I like Dallas. I think Dallas is going to really ball out this year. I wouldn't have put him in the top five if I didn't think so. People are going to see this season. Christian Wood, though he's been a loser his entire career, it's not because of him. He played in Detroit, Houston, right after training James Harden, New Orleans, right as they're training Anthony Davis, and Milwaukee, where he did win, but he was playing on the G League team. This pairing with Luka Doncic, Joel and pick aside, he he tried to go with the... Not the agenda, but he was all in on this, and he said that this team could be the best in the. That he basically said this could be the best duo in the, in the entire conference. I don't know if I'm going that far, but we saw James Harden. Christian Wood was averaging basically 23 while not making his three point shots, which he can do, and like nine rebounds. So yeah. now you get to play him for an entire season with Luca. I'm expecting Wood this year. Oh, Joel is saying he could be a top 25 player, which I'm not going that far. There are people, I forget which writer was in The Athletic, that didn't include Christian Wood in his top 100 players, which is so disrespectful. This guy can be a borderline all-star this upcoming season, akin to uh, Andrew Wiggins or DeAndre Ayton. De- DeJounte Murray as well. I think this guy can be on DeJounte's level when it comes to production. We'll have to see. Ooh, DeJounte averaged almost a triple-double, but was on a pretty bad Spurs team. So, I mean, well, I think one, Wood this year can make himself. One team I want to touch on is my Miami Heat, and I know Justin had him there. Um, you have them four or five, Justin? Four. Four? Okay. Um, yeah, the reason I didn't put Miami in there is because they kind of stayed stay, uh, stayed pat. They, they got really worse. Changed. 
Yeah, they didn't change. They they lost PJ. Um, I hated getting uh, Dwayne Dedman back. Um, and I'm kind of I've I've fallen off on on Tyler Hero. I'm 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 really starting to think like this guy is more about you know his money and fame than he is you know winning culture. I, like I think he'd be just as happy on like a terrible Utah or Portland team not winning but making max money than being on a championship team. I don't I just think really I don't. I don't think he minds living in Miami though. So no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm saying is like I, I don't think winning and losing really affects him really. I think as long as he's getting paid, he doesn't care. I, I just gotta be honest. Like he like, from where he became out as a rookie to now, I mean he's just a complete flashy guy. Like I don't my guy, you didn't show up in the playoffs at all and that was your Well he time. was dealing with an injury. Y'all need yeah. him to win though big time. Even when he was healthy though, he was not showing up. It it was it was honestly pathetic to be honest with you, and I, I just I've kind of fallen off on him. And if Miami doesn't make a splash move, we have a, there's a chance that we could fall. You know, I, I still think we're a top four team in the East, but it's just we're going to be a lower end team in, the, in that in that case, and we need to make a move or we're going to you know fall by the wayside. Speaking of winners, we're going to introduce our top ten power forwards of all time. Time. Justin, I feel like you're going to have some hot takes in here. Do you want to start off? Yeah, you guys always set me up. Man. I, I always start you set yourself up. Don't get it. We don't put, like I said before, <laughs> I mixed up the words. You put Paul Pierce over Mello. I have to react to that. I mean, that's, I would never do Did that I? in a million years. Or Paul no, Pierce no, no. over Mello over Paul Pierce. I keep calling Mello, I keep calling Kawhi Mello. You see, John really wanted to put them in his top 10. He's just in denial. <laughs> Oh, All right, so I'll kick off the power forwards. Should I go from 10 to 1, or should I go from 1 to 10? Start 10. 10. Start 10? Oh, we're starting with the, the fun stuff. Well, at number 10, you guys know me. I'm going back to my modern my modern mindset. Uh, I'm going to go with Draymond Green as the top 10. I feel like, uh, you know, his numbers won't wow you. You're not going to look at his stats and see him in – and top five anything or top 10 anything. But really what, what makes him one of the top 10 power forwards of all time is really his mentality, his his defense, his ability to distribute the basketball, three NBA titles. I mean, the accolades are there. Uh, I'll, I'll list them off to you. Three NBA titles, two All-NBA team selections, three All-Star appearances, a defensive player of the year, four All-Defensive first team selections, and his story still being written. So... While I have him at 10 today, in five years, that can be different. And he might be a lot higher on this list. I feel like this is he's one of the more ultimate champions that we'll see in our lifetimes. At number nine, I got Dennis Rodman, one of the greatest rebounders of all time. Uh, he has some funny stories and all, but he, he may not be the most mentally sound person on and off the court sometimes. He might drive you wild if you're a, if you're a head coach or an owner. But five NBA titles, two All-NBA third-team selections, two-time Defensive Player of the Year award. The guy was one of the more reliable and, and the anchor on those, Bulls, on those Bulls teams. So I got to give him his respect and throw him at nine. I know some people have him off their, their top ten list, which I kind of think is an insult because of what he meant to those Dynasty Bulls. At number eight, one of the more underrated players I feel doesn't get enough respect is Pau Gasol. I feel like... When you look at those Laker teams, 
Kobe has how many titles? Five. Without Powell, we're talking minus two. Uh, Powell Gasol is one of the greatest players that we've ever seen. Um, as far as fundamentally sound, this guy just did everything correctly. He made clutch shots. He made he had big blocks. He's probably one of the greatest international NBA players of all time at the same time as well. Two titles, four All-NBA selections, and a six-time All-Star. Give Powell Gasol his respect. At number seven, I'll go old school, and I'll go Kevin McHale. The Celtics legend, three NBA titles, one All-NBA first team, seven All-Star appearances, a six All-Defensive selections. That's a lot. And he even won two Six-Man of the Year awards, too, to, to go on top of that. Kevin McHale's uh, an all-time legend. And at number six, I love watching TNT and watching Charles Barkley. So I'm going to give love to Charles Barkley. So I, I got to show him. Wait, you think he's too low? Okay. I respect it. That's fine. Um, how could you not put Charles Barkley in your top 10? I mean, I don't really need to say too much. His personality alone probably makes him number one. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I won't go through the accolades. I'll save that for you guys. At number five, I got the Greek freak. It's like, I remember when he came into the league, there wasn't too much praise on the guy. The guy didn't do too much in, in, when he entered the league, but man, like a rags to riches story. This guy is probably a top three player in the NBA today, a finals MVP, a champion, a two-time MVP. What, what more is there to say? Defensive player of the year. He literally lives up to his name. He truly is a freak. He's the Greek freak. So I got Gian Giannis at number five. Number four, I've been working on this shot all my life. The fadeaway, one leg up, trying to copy Dirk Nowitzki all my life. For a second, I thought you were going to Duncan Pink shot. I was like, oh, oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've been trying to, to master this Dirk shot all my life. And I, I, when I will say this. If you put me on a court, that's probably the best shot. I might make it at least six times out of ten. I'm bad at basketball, but uh, that's a high number for me. Dirk probably has, you know, we spoke about Kawhi and ha as having one of the greatest finals runs of all time, but I feel like Dirk is number one to me. Uh, I'm sorry if you guys hear my dog barking, but I put Dirk number one. That, that run against the Miami Heat, when everybody walked into that season saying Miami had this in the bag, this guy went in there with Jason Kidd as his starting point guard, Sean Marion, Tyson Chandler, Jason Terry, and went up against probably one of the greatest of all time or second greatest of all time or first in some eyes in LeBron. Dwayne Wade's one of the greatest shooting guards of all time, and Bosh complimented them perfectly, an underrated power forward um, who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And Dirk went in there and beat them. LeBron beat them. was nice enough to help him too. <laughs> so I, I won't i won't take the jabs but dirk easily deserves this uh top five he's definitely belongs in the top five anybody that doesn't have him there is crazy um at number three this is where i wrestled i wrestled with the top three well i guess i can't say top three the two and three i i flopped but i put kevin garnett kevin garnett is probably one of the more dominant players that i've ever seen in my life i love I love the energy that he always brought to the court. I didn't get to watch too much of his Minnesota days. I really started to fall in love with basketball when he got to Boston. And what he meant to those Boston teams, 
you you can't even you can't even put it into words how how valuable he was to that squad. Um, let me just I have a fun stat. If you're a Wolves fan, for any Wolves fans out there, just how much of an impact he made on the Timberwolves. Minnesota made the playoffs in eight of fourteen Garnett seasons, and only once in the eighteen years without him. That's the kind of impact he had. KG is an absolute monster. And number two, I got Carl Malone. Got to give him his respect. Uh, one of the more consistent players of all time. You knew what you were getting day in and day out from him. Uh, his legacy, he, he probably would be up there. He, he could fight for number one if he had a ring or two. But like a lot of people, MJ was standing in his way. So Carl Malone's number two. And I got to give my respect to number one. I told you guys before, I have a couple of jerseys in my closet. And Tim Duncan is one of them. Number one is Tim Duncan. One of the more, you know what? What I love about him is he's, he was boring. Tim Duncan was boring. He was flashy. He, he wasn't flashy at all, but he just did everything correctly. You'll, next thing you know, you'll be looking at the stat sheet, and this guy has like 28, 12. And he's just killing you, absolutely killing you. The five-time champion, three finals MVPs, two MVPs, 10 All-NBA first-team selections, eight All-Defensive first-team selections. What more can you say about Tim Duncan? Tim Duncan is uh, the true epitome of what you'd want your child or any child going into the league to, you know, to embody, to, to look up to. So Tim Duncan's my number one. I don't think this list was crazy. Uh, it, was, it was good. Um, I mean, once I heard Charles Barkley at number six, I was like, okay, yeah, he's probably got Giannis in his top five. Um, there was one guy left off that um, I put on that might get some heat for, but – John, do you want to go or do you want me to just keep it? Keep it. I point that to you. Um, all right. Uh, number 10. Uh, I got Pau Gasol. Uh, like Justin said, I, I echo all his sentiments. You know, two-time champ. Went to three finals. Uh, all with Kobe. Six-time All-Star. Four-time All-NBA. Rookie of the year. Uh, his, in his prime, he was putting up 21-11. Uh, four assists a game, two blocks, 50 plus percent from the field, 37 plus percent from three, and a 75 percent uh, free throw shooter. I mean, highly skilled big man could finish with his left or his right down low, uh, could make a, a shoot the mid range, uh, score in the post, can shoot uh, the long distance three pointer, uh, defender. He was a, I mean, I get. Two blocks a game. He was an elite rim protector in his prime. Um, and, you know, and, and just to mention, I mean, these international big men they, or international guys in general, all of them that can freaking pass. I, I, something's in the water over there because all of them could just pass the ball at an elite level, I guess. They train them differently. Uh, they do. Tra yeah, no, I know. Um, and, and even just to say, in 2009, he outplayed uh, Dwight Howard. And I think Dwight was coming off his MVP season or something like uh, right there. So uh, you got to give Powell his 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 due. He was a major contributor in those 09 and 2010 finals. He was the second into Kobe. Without him, like Justin said, does Kobe even get those two uh, two rings? And at number nine, this is the guy that I might get some heat for, but God damn it, he's a top ten power forward. And I don't care if the disrespect has to stop. Udonis? My boy. My boy, 
CB Chris Bosh. All right. Two-time champ, went to four straight finals with Miami, 11-time All-Star, only one, uh, one second-team All-NBA. He was a gold medalist uh, for the Olympics. He's Toronto's all-time leader in rebounds, blocks, free throws made, free throws attempted, double-doubles. In his prime, people forget this guy was putting up 24-11 and 11 with a, over a steal a game. 1.5 blocks a game on 50% shooting, 36% from three. He once shot 40% from three-point range for a regular season and an 82% free throw shooter. This guy was a pure stretch big man, especially more in his Miami days. He was a very athletic, very fast for his size. He had pretty damn good handles for six foot 11. Um, the jump shot was deadly when he was getting it going. Unselfish passer. Always wanted to play winning basketball. Was willing to make the right play. Didn't didn't care about his stat line. I mean, you could see the Miami uh, tenure for that. I, I mean, anywhere on the court, this guy can score from down low, mid range, post, three pointer. I, I love Chris Bosh, and I, I just don't want him to get left off because, you know, his Miami tenure is looked at, and he was the third guy and had to take a different role. You know, he and also because of his quiet nature, he is very Tim Duncan like where he leads by example, and he's not going to be boisterous. Um, and I have more on uh, Tim Duncan's uh, psychological nature for that when we get to him uh, and why he was that way. Um, I mean, this guy was a new hope in Toronto after McGrady was gone and Vince Carter was gone. And he did something that neither of them could do, which was lead Toronto to their first ever division title. Um, he was the guy in Toronto. And then Damn when right. he went to... Huh? Damn right, damn right. Yeah, damn right he was. And then in, and then when he went to Miami, he had to take a backseat. He had to be the third guy to Wade and LeBron. And he really did his job to the best of his ability. He rebounded at a high level. He played defense, uh, defense at a high level, which was very underrated. He passed very good. Like I said, he was very unselfish. And he made his open jump shots from mid-range or three-pointer when uh, Wade or LeBron would kick to him. And, and for anybody that says that Miami wouldn't have won those two finals or gone to four straight without Bosch, I just have to say, uh, show you, I mean, go to 2013 NBA finals, right? Yes, we all remember bang, his three-pointer bang, you know, tie game with, three, with five seconds remaining. But the first part to that is rebound Bosch, okay? Without Bosch, that doesn't happen. And also remember in overtime, the lap, or was it? Yes, it was overtime, I believe. Blocked by Bosch. Danny Green catching the across the court, basically, pass from Tim Duncan and Bosch tracking him down after Ray Allen gets uh, hit with a pretty hard pick and doesn't really fight off it. Bosch has to chase him down. And you do not understand how much my butthole was puckered. Because I thought Bosch fouled him on that shot and they were going to call a foul because of how close and stuck he was on him. I was like, oh, that was my God. risky business. It was so risky, but God damn it, did it pay off because it was a clean block. He said, get that stuff out of here and threw the ball in the air. We're going to game seven, baby. I hate it that he gets his disrespect. And the, and the biggest thing for this with the disrespect is that I was watching a clip on NBA TNT from about a year ago where a guy tweeted, and I know John might freaking 
drop dead right here when he hears this quote. But a guy tweeted that Julius Randle is better than Pete Bosch. And I just have to say what Candace Parker said, right? Because she, I think, summed it up perfectly. And this is no disrespect to Julius Randle. She said it. She said, and I quote, one of my college coaches said on every team, no offense to Randall, but every team, somebody has to score 20 and someone has to get 10, whether you win or lose. People need to remember what Chris Bosh did in Toronto and how he was the guy and how he did lead them to playoff appearances. I forget how many consecutive, but I think it was like five or six consecutive playoff appearances or something like that. 24 and 11 on 50% from the field. Everybody wants to remember his Miami days, but this guy, Paul and Justin said he should be a Hall of Famer. He actually is a Hall of Famer. I think he got inducted last year, rightfully so. He was a part of that big three. He was a major contributor to that big three. And I, I don't want to stand for the Chris Bosch hate anymore. He's my number nine player. Sorry to go off on a little tangent there, but he, he gets too much disrespect. At number eight, I battled with this one and I might get some heat for it, but because people might have him higher, but just understand that he's still through his career. I think he's entering his 10th season. So he's obviously going to jump higher than where I have him right now. But right now, currently I'm putting him at number eight, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek, Greek, Greek freak. You know, like I said, he's still in his career. And like I said, he's going to move forward. I understand that. And I see John's face right now of him just being like, but he's going to move forward. I'm, he, I know Giannis is going to jump for it. He's a champion, proven and validated, finals MVP, two-time MVP, you know, all-defensive player, defensive player of the year. He, he's a freak of freaking nature. Learned how to play make when they started building the wall on him. I, I can guard one through five and be a very good uh, free safety defender. And, and I think he proved to everybody that when the money's on the line and it, all the chips are pushed to the, the center of the table and it's a do or die, this man will make his free throws and make his shots. See game six of the NBA finals where he went 17 and 19 on 89% from the free throw line, 50, 45 blocks. And I understand. Okay. I, I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, even went a couple years ago, I had Giannis. I, I pointed at Giannis and Kawhi as these guys were going to take over as the best player in the world when LeBron started to decline. And I'm, I'm proven right by that. Um, number seven, Dennis Rodman, the worm. Again, another underappreciated guy because he was the third man on, the, on those Bulls teams. But if you don't think that he was literally invaluable to those teams, you're smoking something. Five championships, six finals appearances, and the other accolades won't really, you know, blow your head off. But he was a two-time defensive player of the year and a seven-team all-defense all uh, first team, a one-time uh, defense second team. Seven rebounding champion, did that from 92 to 98. The, this guy is arguably one of the greatest rebounders of all time. And I will say with my stamp of approval, he is pound for pound the greatest rebounder of all time. Pound for pound, like AI's pound for pound. He's the greatest rebounder ever. Yeah, he personified the hustle, the do your job nature. I mean, he was best at what he did, and he did it at a Hall of Fame level. Um. So, in 
in, I mean, he could go one through five. In the 96 finals, he grabbed 11 rebounds, which equal uh, on two occasions would equal that NBA record. You know, he and, and something fun that I didn't know about him, but he kind of was the, he didn't invent it, but he was the person who was, they should call it Hacker Rodman because it, it, he, it was started with him. So um, the story goes in December 29th, 1997, while Brandon was about a, a four or five month old baby right there. Um, Bubble Wells of the Dallas Mavericks committed six intentional fouls on Rodman in three minutes. Record for the fastest foul out in NBA history. And that's what started the Hackershack, which the Dallas coach, um, uh, I don't have his name written down there, um, but he, he started that a couple of years later. That plan backfired because Rodman actually went 9 of 12 from the free throw line that game. Um, so, yeah, I, I got to give it up to the worm. I, I, I don't care about the off-the-court stuff because when he was on the court, like John said, John gives him the, the nod of the approval as the greatest rebounder of all time. I know some people will be like, dude, the guy was 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, He's not out-rebounding Shaq and whatever, but, like, when you do look at it, this guy was six foot six, six foot seven, averaging 15 rebounds for about six or seven seasons. I mean, that is just insane to think about. In a land in the 80s and 90s, amongst the land of the Giants, where you get caught with elbows and stuff against guys like Shaq and David Robinson and Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewan and name the list. And, and I loved the one last thing on Robin. I loved his little quotes where he actually like he took it to the next level rebounding. He actually studied how the ball would spin on certain angles and stuff like that. Like he went in on it. So there was a method to the madness. Number six, yeah, number six, I got Kevin McHale. Uh, you know, three-time champ finals, uh, five-time uh, appearance in the finals with those Boston Celtic big three. Um, like Justin said, he was a two-time six man of the year. Came off the bench, then came, uh, then started a, a couple of years later, and formed that what people kind of think of as the best front court in NBA history as that big three trio right there: Bird, Parrish, and um, and himself. Freaking Bill Walton coming off the bench in '86. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Bill Walton. I was talking about the starting unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was only that. That was the sixth man of the year as well. Yeah. So. His career stats won't blow you away, but his his prime numbers, 26 on 60% from the field, 84% from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, and two blocks per game. People often refer to when they guarded him as the torture chamber because the, the moves that he was really known for, I mean, the legendary footwork I read about, the, the low post moves, known for his turnaround jump shot and the up and under moves were just deadly. Um, and, and a quote on that, Charles Barkley, Sir Charles said with those unforgettably long arms and the clever post game, toughest opponent he ever faced. And, and another thing for this, one more uh, thing on, on McHale of the players who score 20 points per game in a season, McHale's true shooting percentage in 87 and 88 only trails Barkley and Adrian Dantley. And, and that should just show you that this guy in terms of efficiency was on the highest of levels. Now we move into the top five. <clears throat> Number five, I got the big ticket KG, Kevin Garnett. 
finally got his championship with the Boston Celtics, went to two finals, lost one to uh, Kobe and Paul, no shame in that. Uh, he was an MVP with those Minnesota teams, a 15-time All-Star, nine-time All-NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, 12-time All-Defense, four-time rebounding champion. Um, all cons- Those rebounding was consecutively four, four years. Um, the guy in his prime was giving you 24 on 50%. With 80 percent from the free throw line, fourteen boards a game, five plus assists, one point five blocks, two steals a game. I mean, dear God, the the, the way to fill up a box uh, a box sheet or box score, whatever you want to call it, he he could do that with the best of them. One of the most versatile and intense players to ever step up, step foot on that court. I mean, he carried those T Wolves game. T-Wolves here, uh, T-Wolves teams for years in scoring, rebounding, playmaking, and defending. This guy, ferocious competitor. Just see his, his, I think before almost every game, this guy would slam his head into the basketball support, uh, uh, the basket support uh, beam or whatever you want to call it, because he, quote, said, um, I would do anything in this game. This guy personified intensity. And I love that he was able to get his championship with uh, Boston. Um, and, and one last thing, he was one of five people to win an MVP and defensive player of the year. So that puts him in the most elite company. Number four, I got the man, the myth, and the legend himself, Sir Charles Barkley, Chuck, as they call him. I know he's got no rings. I feel bad for him for that, but listen, in his prime, this man was almost unstoppable. An MVP, 11-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, led the league in reboundings in 1998. In his prime, he was putting up 28 on 50-plus percent from the field, 14 boards, five assists, almost two steals a game, and over a block. I, I mean, a force of freaking nature in his prime. One of the best rebounders of all time. He's like Rodman. I mean, pound for pound, he can be put up there as one of the best rebounders in the NBA. Um, highly efficient player. Like I said, 55% from the field in his prime plus that. I mean, I think he was, yeah, right here. 89 and 90, he had a career high 60% from the field. This is absolutely insane. Again, I want to say in the 90s and 80s, where it was super difficult to finish down low because you were getting caught with elbows and shoulders and whatever the hell else they could throw, the kitchen sink they throw at you, okay? I, I love Charles Barkley. It sucks that he never got that championship, but again, he lived. He was around in the era where Michael Jordan and nobody ate when Michael Jordan was on top. Can't nobody. say he didn't try. He tried. He tried his hardest, especially late into the late in his career, but he was kind of cooked by then, and injuries kind of felt uh, made him fall apart towards the end of his career. That's kind of on him for not taking care of his body, but we know Charles likes to eat, so Charles is going to eat. You know what I mean? Um, and, and then to transition into becoming, I mean, Barkley's Barkley is one of the most outspoken, brutally honest, and entertaining people. In, in NBA history, I mean, his work on NBA tonight, uh, NBA t- uh, on TNT, I know that doesn't play a factor, but I just love him. He's one of the most entertaining men in sports uh, media. 
Uh, and, and one more thing, this guy created the freaking uh, back to the basket five second rule because he was just, you know, throwing that. Uh, now nah, I won't say it. he's throwing. He was throwing that booty into the guys, um, backing it up as they say. Number three, I got the mailman Carl Malone. Again, he he was around in the era with Michael Jordan. He couldn't eat. Like John said, these guys tried their best. All right, him and Stockton and Malone, they tried two times. They tried it, and they failed both times. But he's a two-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, 14-time All-NBA, four-time All-Defense. In his, in his prime, this guy was putting up 31 on 54% from the field, 12 boards, four-and-a-half assists, and over a steal and block a game. He's third in all-time scoring with 36,928 points. Dear God. Um, led the league in free throw percent, uh, three throw percentage taken and made a record seven times. Physical defender and uh, rebounder. One of the most durable players. Elite work ethic. And that just shows when he was, uh, uh, his first couple of years, 50% from the free throw line all the way up to 75% for his career. Never missed the playoffs in his 19-year career. The mailman is one of the greatest scorers to ever step foot on the NBA court. Number two, I've got the greatest, no, yeah, the greatest international player of all time, Dirk Nowitzki. Six-time, I mean, sorry, not six-time. Number six all-time in scoring with 31,000-plus points. Two finals appearances took down the Heatles in their first go-around. Justin touched on that. I mean, that was just magnificent. And John said, with a little help from uh, LeBron James, who, like Skip Bayless likes to say, went from the chosen one to the frozen one. Um, this guy was a finals MVP. He was an MVP in the regular season, 14-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA, a 50-40-90 member. His prime numbers, this guy was putting up 26 on 50% shooting, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line, 10 boards. I mean, fill in the stat sheet. He revolutionized the stretch big man um, and, and really led to an evolution of the big man. If you see now, we've gone into like the KDs and the Chet Holmgruns, which is an evolution of Dirk. These six, six foot 11, seven footers now having the shooting ability, but also having guard skills in their handle department. You gotta give Dirk the he was the revolutionizer. And then to see the evolution of him is just insane. To, I mean, insane to see. And then, and then you can't you can't go without mentioning Dirk's the one of the most unguardable and iconic shots in NBA history, up there with the sky hook and the MJ Kobe fadeaways, the one-legged high arc and fadeaway. Justin liked to say he, he loves that shot, and that's his go-to shot. Um, I think that's almost any every NBA player loves loves to shoot that shot. I mean, you've seen it from you know KD to Luca to LeBron, all of them trying to do that shot, but nobody does it like Dirk Nowitzki. And number one, was it a surprise? A top ten player in this league. I think I have him number six, I believe, in my all time uh, rankings. This, uh, the big fundamentals. Tim Duncan, five time champ. Six finals appearances. If not for Ray Allen, this guy goes six for six like MJ. People forget that. Three-time finals MVP, two-time MVP in the regular season, 15-time All-Star, 
15-time All-NBA, 15-time All-Defense, Rookie of the Year. In his prime, he's putting up 25 on 50% with 13 boards a game on three blocks, four assists. I mean, talk about consistency, winning, leadership. This is the guy, like Justin said, you want your kids, your future basketball players to replicate. He was one of the best interior defenders ever, a walking double-double. They like to call him quiet excellence. And as Bill Russell said, complimented him on his passing and one of the most efficient players ever. And also another all-time great, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar also shares those sentiments. That is high regard from two of the most elite players in NBA history. His detractors, like Justin will said, he's boring. Or the Spurs are broccoli-like, you know. Nobody likes them, but they're good for you, right? Duncan said on that, if you show your excitement, then you also may show your disappointment and your um, frustration. And if your opponent picks up on this frustration, you're at a disadvantage. And like I said a little earlier that I was going to touch on, there was a method to Duncan's madness of why he was this way. Tim Duncanson had a degree in psychology. He understood this at a different level than, than these other players. So you can see that why he was this way of this stoic, quiet guy, because he didn't want anybody to pick up on if he was happy or if he was disappointed and sad. And there is great value in that, especially when you are a leader of the team, because lead by example, like I said, the teammates will follow because they say, they look at Tim Duncan and say, Oh, well, our leader and best player is not fuzzled by any of this. So follow him and let's go. Um, th this, this guy, the only player in NBA to be selected to both all NBA and all defense for 13 consecutive years. A part of arguably the greatest dynasty in sports history lasting, lasting from 99 to, to 2017. His last season was in 2016. Uh, What's crazy is he wanted to be an Olympic swimmer and didn't start playing basketball until ninth grade. And, and Popovich said on, the, on, on Tim Duncan's NBA success, and I'll round it off here. He said, quote, draft Tim Duncan. After that, stay alive. Number one, Tim Duncan. So to recap, number 10, Paul Gasol. Number nine, Chris Bosh. Number eight, Kumpo. He will jump. Don't worry. Number seven, Dennis Rodman. Number six, Kevin McHale. Number five, Kevin Garnett. Number four, Sir Charles Barkley. Number three, Carl Malone, the mailman. Number two, Dirk Nowitzki. And number one, big fundamentals, Timmy Duncan. So you have Giannis at eight merely because of longevity, right? <clears throat> yeah, Only six All-NBA teams? Yeah. Once he, I, I believe. Only. I mean, he's going to, he's going to, yeah, only. He's going to, trust me, I mean, he's going to probably be, I mean, when it's all said and done, he might be the second greatest power forward of all time. I have no doubt. And is he not one of the two best at his peak? Yeah. I mean, he, I'm, Giannis is, like, peak Giannis is, he clears Dirk. Dirk was barely a top five player at his peak. Yeah. Giannis is the best player in the league. No, I understand that. I'm just going off of that, like, again, well, I, this is another thing that I just have. It, it's a personal thing. Like, with Pat, people throw Patrick Mahomes in the top 10 quarterbacks of all time already, and I'm just like, can we let this guy's see, uh, career, you know, play out, and then we can start getting into it. Trust me, he, he's going to get there. I, I'm, I have no doubt that by the end of the season, I'll probably have him number five or number six. Like, he's going to jump. 
it's going to be easy for Giannis to jump in there. It's just for right now, I'm going to put him at number eight. The time being. Okay, so I mean, this decade ago, number 10, I would have Elvin Hayes. Jason, I applaud you for putting Draymond at number 10. Brown, you're all about winning. Draymond's one of the greatest passers, defenders, and tacticians at the power forward position. Without him, I don't know if Golden State wins a single championship. And much like Dennis Rodman, I think his greatness largely is overlooked because seven point per game score is not really being applauded. But there were years where he's averaging 15 points per game in the postseason, making three point shots. And when Clay and Steph were choking, he was the one stepping up and being the lead scorer in game seven in the NBA Finals. They lost because of them. I think Draymond overall is very underrated. And at number nine, I have Kevin McHale. You said it before, Brandon. It was the torture chamber. That, that's one of the greatest nicknames of all time in the post. McHale is a guy that was averaging 26 points per game while playing beside Larry Bird and also being an all-defensive caliber player. He was a six-man of the year before then. I think Kevin McHale could have led playoff teams much like a Pau Gasol or even a Chris Bosh the postseason. And he was you know, a three-time champion all the while in Boston. So a tip of the cap to Kevin. We're not talking about his time as GM in Minnesota, but tremendous player. Number eight, Dennis Rodman, greatest rebounder of all time. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm 19. I'm five foot ten. When Dennis was my age, he was five foot eleven. He grew seven inches in a year. And he went from being a player that barely he got lucky enough to play college basketball through his growth spurt at a community college. And next thing people knew, he was helping teams in San Antonio and many others, of course, Detroit as the most versatile defender in the basketball who Shaq was saying could guard me and all the while every other player was saying he could guard any player on the floor. Your best player who lock up and after the age of 30 years old, he led the league in rebounding seven straight seasons. Without him, I'm not sure if the ball's three-peat. I think his versatility on defense and his, the energizer bunny, I think that might be the word you use, Brandon, it was unmatched, and level of competitiveness for the lifestyle that he lived, I don't know how much that dude was sleeping, he was partying, he was having a good time off the court, all the while on it, he never let his teammates down, consistently played his role better than any other player in the league, and any championship team needs that level of grit that Rodman inspired every place he went. The number six, no wait, number seven, I may be the most underrated power forward of all time as Bob Pettit. Two people have knocked out Russell Celtics in the playoffs, one in the finals. That is Pettit. He was well before his time, a very good jump shooter and an elite player getting to the foul line. First career, he averages 26 points and 16 rebounds. Never did not make an all-star team. He had all 11 seasons. But since he played in the 50s and 60s, we don't really remember Bill or Bob Pettit and put him in the same light as Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell because he wasn't that level of dominance. But Pettit at his peak was a bona fide top five player. He was right in that mix, though I wouldn't put him in the same company as Elgin Baylor, right below them. He brought St. Louis its only NBA title on the Hawks since. And in my opinion, he's one of the two best players in the franchise history. I think Bob Pettit is one that should not be forgotten in time. And I hope with the way he played the game, he would have been even better 20 years after the fact. He does get his due credit as one of the greatest scorers when he retired. He was number one all time. 20,000-point club, like I said before, one of the greatest rebounders, top four all-time. I think Bob Pettit had a tremendous career, and 
if he had the opportunity, if NBA players made more money at the time, he would have retired after 11 seasons. But when he came in as a rookie, he was making only 11 grand. And so he had to get a job afterwards. He could have played up to 15 seasons. And who knows, maybe, maybe he got another title. We'll never know. Number six, Charles Barkley. said before MVP. And what's so overlooked is, yes, he played in the same time as Michael Jordan. But the 1990s Western Conference was a bloodbath. I mean, oh my God. You had, obviously... Carl Malone and John Stockton, who were able to make it later, and then they were consistently one of the best teams in the league, and those two guys never missed time. Meanwhile, you had Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler in Portland. Those teams were in almost 60 games to start the decade. You have Hakeem's Rockets, who oftentimes were a 7 or 8 seed. You had David Robinson and a very underrated player in Sean Elliott before Tim Duncan. The Spurs were a bona fide playoff team winning 50 games. In 1997, the Lakers got Shaq, paired him with two All-Stars and Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel before Kobe broke out, and you still have Gary Payton and Sean Kemp with a Hall of Fame coach and George Carl and Detlef Schrempf coming off the bench. Then you have Barkley's sons, and after the 76ers were wasting his career, he goes to Phoenix on a very good team playing Bob Marley. Dan Marley, not Bob Marley. <laughs> that was pretty bad. And an aging Tom Chambers, Kevin Johnson, they were winning almost 50, they were winning almost 60 games a season. They were a bona fide 51 team. They went to the finals in 93, but they ran to this guy named Michael Jordan when they finally got there. So I think Charles Barkley, in that bloodbath of Western Conference with seven to eight legitimate 50 to 60 win contenders, was really just buried in a mix of all time grades. And I think he deserves his respect in the top six. Number five, I have Dirk Nowitzki, one of my favorite players of all time. I don't think he should be in the top three if he won 2011. I think he did get lucky while it was an incredible run. And if he didn't win that title, I know for a damn fact he wouldn't be in people's top five. He is a league MVP, but to me, he was never a top three player in the game. I love Dirk, not disrespecting him. Like you said before, Brandon, he helped change the game. He paved it for European players today. When he came into the league, many fans weren't too sure about Euros. And when he retired, the Dallas Mavericks looked at him as a franchise icon that delivered a championship to a franchise that was irrelevant before him and now is looking to sustain greatness long after him. And the standard was set by one, Dirk Nowitzki. Number four, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think by the end of his career, he'll have a chance of being number one on this list, depending on how he ages. MVP, twice. Defensive Player of the Year. Consistently brings 50 wins to a Milwaukee Bucks team that Hadn't made the conference finals in almost two decades before. Actually, it was two decades with Ray Allen. And a finals MVP that an elimination game dropped 50 and had one of the greatest finals performances we've ever seen that is akin to Shaquille O'Neal in the early 2000s. He is consistently an MVP candidate, and we've gotten numb, I've said this before, to the, the idea of Giannis. He's averaging 30, 13, 6, a block and a half, and a steal and a half again. We really, really had to put on the MVP. Like... Every single year, he puts up MVP numbers, and we've gotten so tired of it because he does it so consistently. And the playoffs has shown he's a superstar and the best player in the entire world. We're going on year five or six now of this. And I think if he could just do this for four more seasons and he gets one NBA title, he, he has to be in your top two because the peak level of play is going to make him the greatest player of the 2020s. That's how special he can be. And the thing is, he's going on 30 years old. He's 27. So I look at Giannis's peak performance and the accolades for a player at his age. It is unmatched relative to everybody but Tim Duncan. 
Number three, I have Carl Malone. Granted, I know you're not too high on James Harden. Before James, the player put up MVP numbers and consistently just being insane, the, the, the Iron Man. I mean, Carl Malone, if he had an NBA title, would be in the top two, undoubtedly. The durability, longevity from almost two decades. We're not going to talk about this is merely on the court. Carl Malone is maybe the most forgotten NBA legend that was a superstar. He helped make John Stockton into the player he was and made 14 All-NBA teams along the way with two MVP trophies. Made to the finals twice. And like we said before, in that Western Conference, making it to the finals in and of itself was a grand feat. It was tough enough to, just to get out of that damn thing. And then he ran to Michael Jordan. So I'm not really going to hold against him. This player was tremendous. He almost made it three years in a row because in 1996, they lost to the Supersonics in seven games. I mean... Carl Malone was a top three player for over a decade. I, I think he had a tremendous peak and one that shouldn't be overlooked. Number two, Kevin Garnett. I mean, the disrespect. This dude played in the 2000s on the Minnesota Timberwolves that couldn't build around him. If you took Tim Duncan, or, or yeah, if you took Kevin Garnett and put him in 2022 and you put him in a stable franchise, he would be a much better player. To talk about before, Brandon, he was leading the league in rebounds almost every season, was the most versatile defender in NBA history, and all the while could run point guard for you if you needed it, one of the best passers, could average 26 a game, and this was in a time where you were looked at as a sissy if he stepped in beyond the arc. So he was knocking down these mid-range jumpers. If he put him in 2022 and he's taking threes, which I'm sure he would, he would be averaging close to 30 a game consistently year in and year out. I think Garnett was filled by Minnesota for over a decade, and the best teammate that he had during those years was Sam Cassell to Terrell Brandon. When he was out, like I said before, in the conference finals, this dude was playing point and doing it relatively well for a seven-footer. He then goes to Boston, and what does he do in his first year at the team? I don't know, wins 60 games and NBA title, one of the greatest teams of all time. Just with Paul Pierce, Ray Allen by then was merely a spot-up shooter. It wasn't the guy he was in Seattle or Milwaukee. And that is what's so upsetting about Kevin Garnett's career. After that point, injuries came and cut it short. He was 32 years old. If he could have played with a Paul Pierce, even in the Western Conference, which was better than the East, during his entire peak, we're looking at a guy who could be the greatest power forward in NBA history. You look at what Tim Duncan stepped into in San Antonio. Yeah, Pop got him, but he got Pop, David Robinson, in a culture that had already been established and a playoff team that had been there and done that. They hadn't been to the finals yet, and Tim Duncan, why is the greatest power forward of all time, took him there by his second season. But Kevin Garnett, long after his playing days, still, Minnesota was relevant. And during his time there, they were making it not only to the playoffs, but to the conference final. I think that is the most impressive thing, that he was able to carry that franchise there. And they had some good years with him. And I'm just so upset that he got traded to Boston when he was 31, and by 32, his peak was over. I, I think, I said this time in and time out, when we look at Giannis today, I think that's the closest thing to, to KG. But Giannis has an extra gear to him in transition as a ball handler. Garnett, one of my favorite players of all time, and a world-class trash talker and NBA legend beyond just his ability, making 12 all-defensive teams, winning Defensive Player of the Year, 9 All-NBA, four-time rebound champ, 2000 NBA champ, and of course, 2004 MVP, and one of the greatest seasons and peaks in NBA history. 24, 14, 
2.5 a block and a half, 2.2 blocks a steal and a half, all while shooting 50% from the field. A large part of that volume is mid-range shots. Has to be in your top three. I just I can't put Dirk over him. He he was he was a better player than Dirk through and through. And number one is the greatest player of the 2000s, the golden age of the power forward position, Timmy D. I love this guy through and through, an NBA legend and the quintessential franchise player. Post the days of Bill Russell, I said, you look what Giannis is today. I think KG is comparable to him. I think a lot of us never got to see Bill Russell, but that level of, Brandon used the word before, what was it to describe Duncan's type of philosophy? Stoic, right? I think that is the closest resemblance to Bill Russell in the modern NBA. And he was a player that made the Spurs a legitimate powerhouse, one of the greatest super teams ever. And when they weren't winning NBA titles, we thought it was all over. And then he won one again in 2014. Love Timmy Dean. So let's recap my list. Number 10, Draymond Green. Number 9, Kevin McHale. Number 8, Dennis Rodman. Number 7, Bob Pettit. Number 6, Charles Barkley. Number 5, Dirk. 4, Giannis. 3, Carl Malone. 2, KG. And 1, Timmy Dean. Well, I don't have too much of a problem with anybody's list. Um, for once. For once. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, Giannis, I, I have no problem. I have no doubt in my mind he's going to easily be, yeah, I, he's going to be number two in power forward of all time when it's all said and done. I mean, he, he has a chance to rival Tim Duncan. He's obviously got a, you know, championships are going to be a big thing that's going to set them apart and, We'll see, you know. I forgot the most important thing. Five-time NBA champ in San Antonio. One short of MJ, which he could have gotten in 2013. If Tim Duncan won the championship in 2013 and 2014, would we be looking at him as a top three player of all time, six NBA titles? So hard. To run over his accomplishments and accolades. Top five. Top, you say top five? I would say he would maybe pass Kareem. I don't know. He didn't have as many MVPs. Kareem had six. Duncan has two. Three-time finals MVP. Remember, Parker won it in 07, and Kawhi won it in 14. 15 all-defensive teams. Yeah, would he have been, would he have 15 been finals MVP? 15 all-NBA teams. Would he have been finals MVP in 2013, you think, or would that have gone to... I don't remember the stats off the top of my head. I know all three of them weren't in their prime anymore. I can't remember. But I think the finals MVP, people would look at him and be like, well, he doesn't have that many finals MVPs compared to, you know, the other top five guys. That's a freaking good argument, John. Like, if he does go six for six, I mean, you look at it, he put up the elite numbers. He's a winner through and through. Definitely an argument. You'd have, yeah, you'd have a very... Very compelling argument if you want six for six. Between him and Parker, in that series, Duncan averaged 19-12, a block and a half, and an assist and a half. Parker averaged 16 and six. So I think he would have probably won that I think season. He would have, yeah, I think he would have gotten the nod. Maybe that'd be a nice poll to put on Instagram. If Duncan goes six for six, is he a top three NBA player of all time? Growing up, when I was a giant Kobe fan, my top – I'm a Gave away my list. I had MJ one. LeBron at the time, this was before his Cleveland championships. I'm talking like 2015. 
I think I had Kobe number two and Magic number three, which is really weird. The more I think about it, the more I learn about NBA history. I feel like I have to put Tim Duncan ahead of Kobe. I think Kobe was more influential, but as purely the greater player, Duncan was the best player of the 2000s. And Kobe was as close as it gets to a number two. But during many of those years where Kobe was getting knocked down in the first round or missing the playoffs, Duncan was still doing the same thing in San Antonio. And it was like the world was falling down. We didn't make it back to the finals. So, yeah, man, I think he has to be top six or seven all time. And it's tough. We had to evaluate him to Larry Bird and Bill Russell because they didn't play close to in the same era. So, yeah, 100% agree. Time for check it up. You guys got anything? Yeah, I got I got something. I got something. Let's just say I'm grateful to God that the month of August is over for the New York Yankees. We actually made it through. I, I don't know. It must have been the longest month and probably some of the worst Yankees baseball I've seen in recent memory. Uh just to go over it, because I know Brandon's not a big baseball fan, so I'll let Brandon be the judge here. In April, we ended the month 15 and 6. In May, 19 and 9. In June, 22 and 6. In July, 13 and 13. Sign of things to come. August, 10 and 18. A month ago, we were 15 games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. Today, 6. Tomorrow, we begin a series against Tampa. We have six more games against them coming up. One in Yankee, three in Yankee Stadium, three in Tampa. This has to be, like I said, some of the worst Yankees baseball I've seen in recent memory. We have one infielder that I can say positively impacts the game. And Anthony Rizzo, I won't say DJ LeMay because right now he's he seems to be playing injured. But when I look around, and I look at Josh Donaldson, a former MVP, a former MVP for the Toronto Blue Jays. I look at our shortstop, Isaiah Kiner Falefa. I look at our second baseman, Glaber Torres. No production from any one of them. Glaber Torres, who I've vouched for so much, so much, he has let me down a ton. I got some stats for you from his second half of the season, and it is truly remarkably bad. His first half of the season, he was batting 268 with an OPS of 809, 14 home runs, drove him 41. Right now, in the second half, he's batting 189 with an OPS of 522. He's playing awful. His at-bats are awful. We just lost a series to the LA Angels, one of the most pitiful franchises in baseball recently. They can't, they can't find a way to sneak into the playoffs. And we just lost a series to those guys. That should have been a given. We struggled to beat the A's. That should have been a given. Right now, the Yankees suck. And I don't know when it's going to turn. It's going to turn. I'm positive that it will. But right now, I feel like we need a spark. And this might be crazy, but we have two prospects in the minor leagues, two young shortstops. In double A, we have a young man named Anthony Volpe. In triple A, we got Oswaldo Peraza. I feel like the Yankees need to call up one of them. From people, from scouts, and from sources that you hear, they say that these kids aren't ready for the big leagues. But I'm a big believer in, uh, hey, sometimes you got to throw people into the fire and see see how they see see how see how they grow. Are they going to burn or are they going to rise? 
And uh, right now, the Yankees need a boost. They called up Oswaldo Cabrera. He's been a nice little energy boost, but he still has some kinks to work out. He's young, so I'll give him a pass. But the Yankees absolutely need some energy, some jolt of positivity, because right now, I'm telling you, this has been one of the most ugliest brands of baseball. When I'm seeing the, the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles just out there tearing teams apart, the Yankees should be that. The Yankees should be the juggernaut. And listen, if we're going to win a World Series, you're going to have some rough moments. You're going to lose games. You're going to have some tough ones. You can't stay hot 24-7. So I guess I'm happy that our struggling started in August because now it's September. It is September 1st. The Yankees need to turn it on now. We're getting ready for October. Sevy's coming back soon. Cortez will be back in the rotation soon. Cole has not been the $300 million man that we expect him to be. That needs to change. The Yankees have to turn this ship around. Aaron Judge can't do it by himself. Giancarlo Stanton needs to get back to his form. The Yankees need to start rolling. I I'm just a very pissed off Yankee fan because I'm staring. I don't I could even care less about what the rotation is looking like. Our bullpen is finally coming back to form. Loisega looks good. Holmes looks good. And, and we're just, we're, we're seeming to come together in that fold. But that infield, Falefa, Torres, Donaldson, I can't say in a, in a playoff series going against elite pitching that I'm confident in those three. That's a concern. We need some energy. Call one of the guys up. We got till Friday. Call one of them up. I'm so mad. Sorry for you. <laughs> Being a Yankee fan, I feel like this is the dramatic ending to every season within the last couple of years, right? It's, you know, the thing is, we have a team that I, I believe that we can go deep into the playoffs. We can make a deep playoff run. But for that to happen, everything needs to start clicking. Everything needs to start clicking. If we're not getting Glaber from the first half, that's a problem. We need that. Donaldson and IKF. That's just uh, – I don't want to see Donaldson in a Yankee uniform next year. That's, that's as far as I'll go. I want to talk about John Wall. Recently, he's been in the news. You were talking about him before. Uh, he had an interview yesterday, or by the time I watched this, two days ago, where he opened up to having uh, suicidal thoughts during the uh, pandemic. And I look at John Wall, and I only know him as a player, as a basketball fan, and he was a tremendous one at that and a very underrated one in Washington. I feel there's a level of humanity in all pro sports that we so often neglect to look at because when somebody's making millions of dollars, typically we wish we could be in that position. So their their issues in their lives seem to be less important than ours are. You know, ours are maybe like trying to make enough money or having a family matter for them. It's like, oh, who can I trust with these millions of dollars that I'm now being given every other month? And we lose sight of the fact these are human beings that for John coming to the NBA, 19 years old, he spent a decade in Washington and had some great moments there. And after signing a contract for life-changing money, $170 million, says family up to, to long, long after his days. That's a lot of money. You invest all of that, he could be a freaking billionaire. Okay. He has one injury after another. Knee, quad. He slips in the shower and tears his Achilles. And then he uh, has to undergo chemotherapy with, I believe it was his mother, and she passed away, and so did his grandmother. 
and he couldn't play basketball for over a year. And during COVID, you know, it's a tough time where basketball is what made you all this money. It, for many players, me included, it could be a therapy in tough times, and that's taken away from you. So in the process of losing many loved ones and having the game stripped away from you, the media calls you the worst contract in basketball because you're not actually physical, physically capable of going out there and playing on the court. And then Washington, after saying they're not going to trade you, trade you to, to Houston, and now you have to move out of the city you spent the last decade in since you were a teenager to a place across the country. And all the while, you're, you're going from all of your boys with the Wizards to a team in Houston where it's not that relevant basketball. You know, It's a team that's not looking to play you. And a year later, they weren't even willing to have John participate in games. I think John Wall went through so much during that time. I want to give him a part of our show because... This is so much more than sports. I mean, sports is just entertainment and enjoyment. And these are human beings at the end of the day. And if they're role models, I'm happy to see them opening up about the struggles they go through in suicide. It's not just DeMar DeRozan. It's not just Kevin Love. Everybody is going through something. And if you are struggling out there, don't hesitate to ask for help. I applaud John Wall, a role model through and through. Um, and like I said before, the National Suicide Hotline, 988. And I repeat that, 988. So to everyone out there, never hesitate to ask for help because sports is not the grand all be-all. It's just a stupid thing for us to poke fun at and find some cool things to talk about. Yeah, if you need to uh, open up and talk to somebody, pull up your phone and call somebody. Friend, family member, like John said, the uh, suicide uh, hotline or if you have the money, I know it's expensive, a therapist, sports therapist, whatever you need, psychiatrist, whatever you need, just go talk to. It rings back to uh, when uh, Patty won in uh, mid-July when he gave that speech about call somebody, you know, pick up the phone and if you're feeling some type of way, call somebody. Your men need to start realizing that screw this stupid Andrew Tate culture that's going around, right? If you're having a problem, open up and call somebody and talk to them because you never know when it will be the last time that you'll ever be able to hear words come out of their mouth or see their face. It's just, it's open up. Um, So I commend you, John, on that. And, uh, you know, prayers to John Wall to, you know, keep uh, his head up and, uh, you know, push forward and just keep getting, uh, you know, trugging along, uh, trugging along. Um, I'll bring it to a little bit more of a lighter note. I'm not going to do a full breakdown on the UFC card this Saturday. It's not that good of a card. I mean, the, they're having their debut in uh, Petty, France. Um, finally got legal. MMA finally got legalized there. It's going to be an early card. Um, I can give you the time right now. Um, so the prelims start at 12 p.m. and the main card starts at 3 p.m. Um, there's just two fights that I'm really looking at that I'm like, okay, I'm excited for. It's the co-main event between uh, two top five middleweights and Robert Whitaker and uh, Marvin Vittori. Both are 0-2 against the champion, Israel Adesanya. Um, and then the main event, Cyril Ghosn versus Tai Tuivasa, two top five heavyweights. Um, yeah, there's a chance that these two fights can be snooze fests if uh, Vittori and Cyril Ghosn walk away with the wins, but uh, if it if it turns out to be an exciting card, I'll I'll, uh, I'll recap those two fights for you guys on uh, Sunday. Um, and then one last thing, uh, 
Serena Williams is going through her final tournament. Uh, the GOAT is still, she's trying to tie the uh, all-time record in, I believe, major or Grand Slam championships with 24. She's at 23 now. She just advanced to the third round of the U.S. Open uh, in her bracket. Uh, she beat the number two player in the world. So, uh, and listen, Serena Williams is the only person on this earth that will get me to tune into tennis. I'm not tuning in unless it's Serena. And I love, I, I love Serena. I don't watch a lot, but when I do get a chance to tune in, I, I, I love watching her. I love the crowd giving her her flowers and her appreciation because God damn it, that woman deserves everything and all the love in this world. Um, she's a warrior, she's a champion, and she's the GOAT. Um, I put her on my probably most uh, Mount Rushmore, most influential players um, or sports athletes in the history of sports. And I probably put her in my Mount Rushmore of um, athletes of all time, just in, in general, sports athletes. I mean, she's the greatest female uh, competitor athlete of all time. You got to have her on there. Uh, so I'll be trying to tune in as much as I can throughout this 2022 um, U.S. Open to watch Serena Williams do her job and I'm, I'm rooting for her and I'm hoping that she can get this walk off in a, a sunset. It's, it's doesn't happen a lot in sports where we get to see the greats, you know, walk off on their terms and also at the highest possible level. And I hope she can do that because listen, she's the goat man. And I love her quote at the yesterday. She just said, I forget uh, what the questioner asked her. She just said like, uh, was there any doubt in, I guess, the level of your game and like, Serena kind of just looked at her like, come on, really? And then she kind of come back and she was like a little humble about it. And she just said, you know what? I'm just Serena, you know, basically say, you know, I'm, I'm just this girl from Compton. You know, I never should have been here, but look at me now. I'm the GOAT. So let's go. Let's go, Serena. Respect greatness around here. You know the deal. Yes, sir. But got, before, before we wrap up, I didn't get to chime in on the John Wall stuff. I just want to say uh, as men, it's it's very easy for us to forget to to speak up and some people think that men aren't supposed to do that we're supposed to be macho we're supposed to exhibit this this manly uh, concept yes and that that's that's a lie man be vocal men have to talk too men cry too we're all human and at the end of the day what john wall did him speaking up on that i commend him a ton Mental health is no joke. And whenever, like you guys all said, I'll echo what you guys said. When you're going through something, speak up, find somebody. And if they're not willing to listen to you, find yourself a therapist. There's some people care. And believe me, when you try and you look for that, you're going to find somebody that is going to care about what you're going through. But don't don't, don't hold it in. That, that just leads to bad things. So let, let your frustrations and all that out by talking. Do it the healthy way. It's all that guy, guys. That's going to wrap up episode number 2020. 2020. Episode number 22 with the Wise Guys podcast. I'm glad the way we ended it the right way. And as always, we'll see you next time. Yes. Stay classy. <laughs>